and gentlemen, welcome to our TED Talk. <laughs> this is like not a TED Talk atmosphere whatsoever. What is? All right, so I've seen, is that the TED, is the TED Talk where like somebody gets up on the stage and just like says a bunch of shit and then leaves? Yeah, pretty much. And there's not like an ever like an actual series. It's just whoever the fuck wants to get up there and say some shit, you just get up there and say some shit. I think. I or think, does it have to be something profound, like something? I think whatever it is, like you have to like um, go through our quest form and be given like the opportunity to go forth and talk about whatever you're talking about. Because I've seen some weird ass TED talks. Yeah. They this could be that. No, they range from everything. From, let's see here, that is, um, like, the proper way to tie your shoes. Yes. To how to stop bullets with your mind. Alright. Like, they get wild sometimes. It's right. it's nuts. I'm not sure that last one is an accurate form, but I've seen some weird shit pop up in TED Talks. I believe it, man. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to uh, Bandolier Tigers. Yeah, and the crowd goes wild. <sighs> Woo! Yeah, so uh, just to forewarn everyone, my dog is here with us on this episode. His name so, is Moose. Special <laughs> special guest, Moose. You, yes, you will hear him do some little like light barks here and there because he hears the kids running upstairs and he can't calm down. Yeah, because I have crib lizards. No, li- um, children, children. <laughs> They're not fuck trophies. <laughs> They're actual things of people. Yeah. They're assholes. I love them, though. Yeah. They're pretty great. Uh, so, guys, this episode, we did not actually give a preview of it last last episode. Um, this episode is the final episode of the spooky season for us. Yeah. And, uh, sorry about that. Just said, like... Key and Peel, we're gonna break apart, do our own things for a little while, and then we're gonna come back together like butt cheeks. Like butt cheeks. I got your back like a sweater. Yeah. That's gay. That's fine. That's fine. Let's, let's just let's just dock. Get a Roy. Exactly. Said <coughs> so we're gonna do that the last time, and it didn't happen after this show. Mm-mm. I'm sorry. I'm a, I'm a tease sometimes. <laughs> I gotta be a tease uh, sometimes. I mean, got to. So, uh, this episode is going to be solely about the the real-life horrors or just stuff in general that scares us because it's, it's just the last thing we have to do is scary shit, like actual horrifying stuff. So, I've got some real-life horrific shit that I'm going to get into that maybe not a lot of people have heard of. Some of it's going to be a little funny. To me and to people who have a really dark sense of humor. And some of it is not going to be funny at all. We're going to talk about true pieces of human garbage. Oh. Yes. So, you may hear me snapping a few times. Sorry, I have to get my dog corralled. He's a little rambunctious tonight. Moose, come here, bud. It also doesn't help that it snaps me back into attention, too. So, <laughs> Lay down. I guess it does help. It, it, it helps a little. Lay down. Good boy. Now you stay. I'm, I'm thinking about just making him like the mascot of the of the podcast now. When everyone looks at it, if he's ever on the podcast again, at least I know what he looks like. They're like, well, at least he's like super adorable. Because yeah. he is. He's fucking adorable. Yeah. But then if you meet us in person, you're going to be like, oh, what happened? 
What what how this does he, is what does the show? This is what it is. Okay. I guess we're we're here. Look at it. <laughs> what the fuck are you doing, Moose? He's licking the fuck out of your knee. It's weird. Yeah. He's like centrally licking your knee. That's no. <laughs> People are gonna assume there's peanut butter attached somewhere and there's not. There never has been. No. Not even a little bit. This is basically my son. Moose, stop it. You're being weird, dog. What would be weird on the podcast? That's my job. And Manny's job. Yeah. So, uh, Manny, let's get into it on your side. I've been starting for the last three episodes, so I want to hear something you got to say about, like, scary stuff. What you got for me? Spooky. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Dude, basic. All right, so, like, everything that I know about horror and spooky stuff has been stemmed through either film or like novel adaptation like yeah I've read into you know a few serial killers cause you know you hear the names and stuff like that you look into them I've looked into a few off you know that have kind of stemmed off of other ones and stuff like that um you know the classic guys you know yeah your, your big names of course I know you were really into the Iceman for a little while weren't you yeah mhm that dude, um, he was like, you know, he was just a hitman for anybody. He was just out for hire, man. He was just a fucking dude that just did his job. And then eventually he just kind of got sloppy. I don't, like, not really sure that he got sloppy. I think, didn't he just turn himself in? No, he just kind of got sloppy with everything. Didn't and he? then he ended up basically, yeah, he, he was just like, all right, man. I know I was I was listening to a different podcast and they were talking about it. last podcast on the left. If you guys don't listen to last podcast on the left, you're not living your life correctly because those dudes are fucking hilarious. Is that who oh. we were listening to earlier? Yeah, yeah. When I was listening to the Zodiac Killer stuff. Yeah, they're pretty funny. Yeah, Henry um, Zabrowski is fucking hilarious, and um, not all the guys are fucking great. They really yeah. are. Um, but yeah, he goes in those characters, and he's Detective Popcorn's got to be my favorite character. He does. <laughs> oh, got butter everywhere. <laughs> We're so sensual to butter. <laughs> Four toppings on my on my kernels. And it's like yeah. what the fuck? Corn. Yeah. What was buttered it? corn? Yeah, buttered corn. <laughs> I was like, what the fuck is going on? Yeah, he's great though. I love listening to that stuff. Um, so, tell me, tell me some stuff, like, keep going, man, sorry, I hate to go on the tangent, man. Oh, you're good, you. man, I really, like, you know me, man, I don't, you know, I'm not a man of many, many words. Um, yeah. I like, a lot of what, like, horror means to me, and like, the, like, all that stuff is, like, in art, too. Mm-hmm. Seeing those really fucked up, twisted pictures and stuff like that. Right. Because it paints a realistic kind of, like, you know, thought process, too. You know, because you're like, oh, this person's getting tortured in a certain way. You know, then that means that, you know, the world is being tortured in this way or something like that. Right. Um, I can see that. Same thing with, like, the mythologies and stuff like that that I've looked into. Like, Norse mythology, man. They got a lot of fucked up tales and shit, man. Like, yeah. You know? Adam Kinchin, like... Mimir fucking getting strapped up to a fucking tree and then getting his eyes plucked out every day at 12 o'clock promptly so that way that, you know, he couldn't fucking see and tell people wisdom and shit like that. 
But the thing about it is the Norse, they have this one thing about them. They're on time. <laughs> what? 12 o'clock. Every, every 12 o'clock. Yeah. 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 They're on time. Yeah. They're, they're not, you know, they're not wasting. They're not flitting around. Well, they around. say noon, but, like, I'm assuming noon is 12. 12, 12.30? I can give a 30-minute no, range. No, 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 no. Noon is 12. Noon Prom- is 12. Promptly 12. Promptly 12. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so, like, um... Yeah, the real-life monsters, man, too. Dude. Um, yeah, you know, like, in horror movies and stuff like that, they always treat, um... Sorry, I'm fucking this up for it, too. No, you're so fine. Really helping. No, dude, you're fine. I'm just, I'm just trying to make sure, like, Moose has been running out of the table, guys, and he's been, like, pulling our mics, uh, and making sure the cables are arranged in such a way where he's not going to affect those. Yeah. So, keep going, Manny. Yeah. Um... So, like, in horror movies, they take, like, serial killers and stuff like that, and they make them kind of, like, thriller, suspenseful movies and stuff. And right. I, and I feel like that's just realistic horror, man. Like, you know, the Jigsaw movies and stuff like that, and all oh, the yeah. Saw movies, they're, like, you know, they're done after, basically, serial killers, you know? One that's just not getting fucking caught, because they've made eight movies for it. <laughs> And it's fucking ridiculous at this point. Like, the murders and stuff, like, all the traps, it's just a lot. Well, you know, the FBI <laughs> says that at any given moment, in any given moment, there's, there's like 25 80. to 50 serial killers active in, in America. Yep, yeah. in the United States, yeah. That's, like, today numbers. Like, that's... Yeah. No, that's... Nuts, that's today. Like, yeah, to, today's world. And then you world. get those ones that, like, get glorified and, like, really fucking... You know, like, they get caught. And it's like, oh, I wanted you to catch me. I feel like a lot of them are like that, you know? They're just, like, really fucking, like, you know, narcissistic in the fact that they're like, oh, I wanted you to catch me. It's like, no, your dumbass just got caught. Yes. Like, you got sloppy, you fucked up, and there you are. Because there's, like, fucking 25 to 50 serial killers active in the United States. Yeah, at any given moment. And you caught one. The, the, the one that's like, going who the fuck, like, are we not, like, amplifying, like, all right, this, this motherfucker killed, like, 15 people. Are we not glorifying that on the news, or is it just, like, this pandemic bullshit? Right. Uh, the thing that's going on is the around that's right now that's active that hasn't been caught is the Long State, Long Island State killer or something like that. He's still active? Yeah, still active. I um, figured they would have caught he's, that motherfucker he's by now. The, I think they're saying that that killer is only killing, like, prostitutes, though. So... It's not a real big thing. For <laughs> they just don't care. They're they just like don't. prostitutes are people. And, and prostitutes are definitely people, though they are That's not expendable. I'm, we're not going to say that. Taking it like that, though. They're but yeah, they like, are. Yeah, we got other <laughs> shit to worry about. Yeah, there's you know they're pimps, <laughs> and you know they're they're drug dealer buddies. Yeah, we're exactly. worried about them, not the prostitutes. Not the prostitutes. Prostitutes. Yeah, because sometimes it'd be like that. You Is that what male hookers are called now? What? We're going to talk about Savannah again? I feel like that's something we need to go to therapy for. <laughs> Do you need to go to therapy for? I was not comfortable. You were not. I was fine. I, was, <laughs> I, really I thought it was... I really, like... Do you not remember me tattooing those strippers when I, when we worked together? Mm-hmm. Do you not remember the questions that I asked? I You asked some weird-ass questions, and I love you for it. Yeah. Like, that's exactly what would have happened that night. If I'd have ventured downstairs, like, you want to have a good time? No, 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 no. Here's $20. I have a few questions. <laughs> and after these questions are done, 
whatever time's left, enjoy it to yourself. <laughs> Smoke a cigarette, do whatever you gotta do, but I have some very important questions. I just need them answered as honestly... As possible. Yes, and as open as possible. And please understand, I'm not a police officer. This is just for my own personal well-being. Use your own wealth for knowledge. Uh, yeah. My question is, what were you going to ask that I can't. young, manly woman? I can't. You, you can't say? All right, first question, do you tell them up front, or do they just know? <laughs> do you have any children? Okay. Like, with women? Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. What do your kids think of you? Do they know of your nightly adventures? Yeah. Are you honest with them? Because I feel like you should always be honest with them. Always be honest with the children. Yeah, like, you should always be honest with your kids to a degree, of course. Yeah, you know? I definitely don't want your kids down here for this one. Because it's going to get rough. Yeah. Yeah, it, it is. BT Dubs, guys, it's going to be a rough episode. We're going to get into some, like, horrific shit. Again, I cannot state that enough. So don't be a pussy. I mean, yeah, basically, don't be a pussy, but also, like, if you can't handle it, like, exit now, honestly. Yeah. When, yeah. It's, when, when it's my turn to talk, definitely exit. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, horror movies, man. And then slashers, they always stem off of serial killers. Right, right like, um, um, Ed Gein's Texas, Texas, Texas Chainsaw, Chainsaw Massacre, Massacre was part of Ed Gein. Yeah, yeah but yeah. He, he could also play Kate into other, you know... Different serial killers and stuff like that. Yeah, like Buffalo you know, like Bill. Count Chocula and uh, Count Chocula is not as no Count Chocula <laughs> was definitely not a serial killer. Yes, he was. He had his own serial. He killed it. <laughs> Shut the fuck up. Shut the fuck up. He's still around. What about Casper and Booberries? <laughs> <laughs> Frankenberries, man. Frankenberries. He looked like a a I almost said it. <laughs> it's okay, Manny. We should really start putting the word explicit before in our descriptions of our podcast. Yeah. I should really start doing this that. This is not rated E for everyone. This, If your mother's listening to this, she's going to be highly offended. Highly retard offended. Because retard gets thrown around just a lot. My mom would be highly offended by what we say. And she knows a, me. Your mom's such a nice lady. She is, man. She's a sweet, sweetheart. She wouldn't make it past the first episode, I don't feel, man. I feel like she wouldn't make it past the first ten minutes. I feel like she would get past the first episode maybe just because solely on the fact that she wouldn't be able to hear me. So she'd be like, alright, let's get to like episode two and three. He said it gets good there. Yeah. <laughs> I'm never telling my mother like to listen to this at all, ever. Ever. If she wants to. If she ever asked to listen to it, I'll definitely give her the information. I haven't told my parents about but, it. Well, because my mom definitely knows that we do it. Like, we do the podcast. and But she also knows, like, yeah, mom, I bought a Ouija board, and I want to play with it. And my mom is very, very Christian conservative. Oh. Yes. Yeah, she's going to have a fit. She's not going to be okay with things I have to say and, and the things I do. Yeah. But she knows about most of it, I think. She doesn't know the name of this podcast. Does she does not know the name of this podcast. You're does anybody correct. in your family know the name? No, I don't think so. They all know I do it, but they don't ask. Okay. They're like, hey, he's fucking weird, so we're not going to listen to it. <laughs> and that's totally fine with me. Like, I'm, yeah, I'm yeah. fully aware I'm what's not, happening. I'm not making this for them. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, we talked to your wife last night after the last podcast we did, 
And she definitely said that she was not going to listen to this podcast. Nah, it's okay. <laughs> I, I, I feel like... I feel like Kevin Smith. Because his wife doesn't watch comic book men or like basically anything that he does. Yeah, that's totally fine. Like, I feel like if I became that, like, that's exactly how my wife would be. She'd be like, yeah, he's in movies, but like, I don't... <laughs> like I don't watch movies. It's just like, all right, cool then. Like, I, okay. what, what does Kevin Smith say? He's like, no, she's just way too smart to watch the shit that I do. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that that would get him in trouble. It's just like, no, she's just way more intelligent than want to watch these stupid stoner bullshit. Yeah, that's stuff that I do. Yeah, because yeah. she sees me do that every day. Yeah, a hundred percent. She's like, that's just you, and every day now they're just putting it on camera. You convince somebody to let you do this, right? Yeah. Fucking hell, man. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to do a webcam. Me at the tattoo shop. Like actually tattooing? or yeah, tattoo. I ain't going to be fucking. I well, no, not fucking. Fucking in my station. Well, no, not fucking. No. I'm just saying, like, what would, what would, the, what would the be the reasoning for the webcam? Just to watch you do the weird shit that you do? Yeah, just watch me tattoo. That's not weird. Nah, I'm just gonna... And, like, of course, it's gonna follow me through the day-to-day. Yeah. So, you know, whatever happens throughout the day is whatever's gonna happen throughout the day. Fair enough. I'm gonna act like absolutely nothing's wrong. I'm, you're gonna see me dance. Yeah. You're gonna see me cry. A lot. Oh. You're gonna shit. Oh, yeah. I'm, I believe that. You watch me shit. Are you gonna shit and cry at the same time? I do it a lot. <laughs> it's okay. I've learned to cope. Oh God! I'll, I'll pay to watch that podcast or that webcam. I'll do an OnlyFans. You'll yeah. do an OnlyFans just for that? Just yeah. I'll watch it. Yeah, I'll pay and for then, it. Like you can get exclusives of like my feet. Oh, <laughs> you don't want those for four ninety nine. You don't want those people. I'm telling it's you a now. Mystery. No, you don't want them. To everyone, it's a mystery. And you, how can I? How can I put this? Manny, you have like. You you have the feet of a Holocaust victim. <laughs> and I don't mean like years after the Holocaust is over. I mean like fresh Holocaust. <laughs> yeah, they're rough. They've been Sorry. rough, dude. They are rough. I've accepted that. Ugh. Okay. Oh, hell. So, yeah, man. Like, I really don't... I mean, like, I've watched little things here and there different serial killers but like i've never um i've watched a lot of like stories on like how people have been killed like the victims of serial killers maybe not serial killers but like just the heat of passion type things like um the chris watts story on fucking netflix that everybody chris, chris watts i can't remember that one is that the one who killed his his wife, his wife and his, his kids, kids. Yeah, yeah yeah i haven't watched that yet yeah that's I heard that was wild. Yo, because dude definitely just said, like, yeah, it happened. What? I did it. And he's like, I know I was unhappy with her. Like, yeah, there were sides to both stories, you know, because she was, I guess, I guess, like, verbally abusive to him and stuff and, like, demeaned him, like, demeaned him and shit like that. That's not an excuse, though, at all. Exactly. You know, if you ever in that situation, man, just be like, all right, bro, like, I'm, yeah, fuck this. I'm out. Like, I don't feel comfortable being here, like, you treat me like shit. You talk to me like I'm a fucking dog. Like, no, I'm not with it. Like, just, just fucking leave. Like, don't, hey, you don't, don't, don't kill your kids and your wife. You don't, 
I mean, you don't have to kill your kids. Like, you just, I mean, I don't know, man. Like, that shit's fucked up. And then no, Buddy if, didn't if, even if have, you like... Have, uh, if your partner is abusive in any way to your children whatsoever, call the police. Yeah, of course. Call the police. But I don't call. think they were abusive to the kids. Like, I think the kids were good. Like, they didn't know anything was up. But, you know, this is all behind closed doors. But still, at the same time, you know, you don't take that shit out on your kids. But I don't know. I think... He's a piece of shit. I think he, um... I think he ended up getting death. Getting the death penalty? No, I think he ended up living out... Like, he's gonna be living... Like, hey, the rest of his life in prison? Yeah. I think that's... They gave him life, basically. And I think he killed himself in prison. Oh, so he's dead now. Yeah, I think... Okay. I think that's how it ended. But, like, I remember, like, the story was just fucking nuts to me, man. I was like, God damn, like, this is real life. Yeah. And then, um... Stemmed another story that I had read about. Um, I had actually read about it in um, a Facebook group that I'm in. They were like, Chris Watts doesn't really have anything on this guy. Like, and you read the story. This guy was married to his first wife and like two kids. Like, they had two kids and stuff. And he ends up killing her and the two kids. He gets he gets thrown in prison for you know life type deal but like life was like 25 years or like 20 years 20 right. 25 years something like that right and he gets it appealed after 15 or something like that and wins he gets the fuck out oh shit no under reconnaissance of like family members and like the church and stuff like that okay marries the fucking the preacher's daughter has kids with her she's got stuff like she's got kids from a previous marriage he ends up killing her with a pregnant, like, pregnant While she's pregnancy. Yeah, she's pregnant. and then trying to kill one of the kids, but then, like, one of the kids ends up, like, the two stepkids ends up escaping and saying, like, yo, you fucking killed our mom, and he was trying to kill us. I was like, what the fuck? Like, if you get a second chance, nigga, like, give that shit the fuck up. Like, <laughs> you, okay, you good. You don't have to be in prison getting fucked every day. What are you doing? That's kind of like OJ mm -hmm. trying to steal his shit back. <laughs> you get away with shit, you just shut the fuck up for the rest of your life. People you leave it alone. You, like, you just kind of got to take it. Like, you especially just, when you're in the limelight. Because you just got away exactly. with fucking mur literal murder. <laughs> like, There's so many people that are like, no, nah, OJ didn't do that. That glove didn't fit. And it's like, man, whatever. Like, if, if the glove did, doesn't did fit, you have to acquit. <laughs> yeah. It's like, fuck off, man. Like, Shit, I I wear gloves that don't fit all day and still do a bunch of stuff. I do it every day with tattooing. Right. Exactly. So, I, yeah. Anywho, but yeah. So, what? What? Uh. So, guys. So, like, everyone, as far as I know, everyone's got like their like favorite serial killer. For whatever reason, it's like this is the one I'm most interested in. Yeah. So, like, what? What is that one to you? Like who might who might be one of your like go tos? I think it's just Ed Gein. Ed Gein, yeah. And it's he's just he's fascinating because he was kind of stupid. Like he was. Really he wasn't kind of stupid. He was a simpleton, like a real simpleton. Yeah, he was. And like he just kind of did shit. Like he didn't really like like you said he didn't really kill people, man. Like he, he killed a few people, but not a, a lot. People. He wasn't considered a more of a serial killer. He was more of a grave robber. Yeah, and that shit was nasty as fuck. Cause like he had fashioned clothes and like fixtures for like his house and stuff like yeah. that. Yeah, out of body parts. 
Have you ever? Did you ever see the nipple belt? Yeah. That thing is wild. That's yeah. weird as shit. Yeah. You know how many but bodies they, it takes to make a belt? From nipples, like, seeing that shit, it just kind of made me think of like the movie Jeepers Creepers, like, cause he mm-hmm. he definitely did that shit. Like he had a basement just like slap full of like motherfuckers that were like sewed up together. Yeah, like, that shit. Was... He had his own. He had his own female bodysuit. That so he was a girl. That because that was his thing. He wanted to be a girl. Because growing up, his mother was always like, "You're a girl. You should have been a girl." You're fucking awful because you're a, you're a boy. And that that's um and like, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Well, yeah, but that's it's based he off has, of Ed Gein's yeah. life, like loosely, loosely based. Yeah, 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 man. And you know, so like when the when the cops actually came to his house to arrest him, um, when they entered the house, like the place was like covered in shit. They found like disgust. Everywhere is fucking disgusting, right? They went to his mother's room, which was boarded up, pristine. Yeah, like, like nothing touched it. It was still on like the day she, the day she died, like made up bed. Everything was really clean, a little dusty, but that was it. Yeah, and then he had an underling too. He had somebody that was like Did working he? with him. Yeah, supposedly like he had I don't remember that part. That was like underneath him. That like kind of helped him out. Like I guess took care of him or some shit like that. But somebody that like studied with him or some shit like that. Huh. I don't know. I, I don't remember hearing about that one. Yeah, I don't know nothing about that. But, like, I know that he, um, he did some wild shit. Like, he was a real big fan of, like, True Crime magazines and stuff. And he liked to look at the pictures on those because he couldn't read them. Yeah. Yeah, no. <laughs> like, he could read a little bit, I think. I can't remember exactly if he could read no, them. But I don't he think was. He could read. I think he was completely illiterate, to be honest with you. Yeah. I think that's why he had that underling, that person that was under him. So they could read to him? Yeah. And, like, kind of make sure he was good type deal. I don't know. Jesus Christ. I can't remember the fact, man. I can't. And I don't want to say specifics and then get yelled at because somebody was like, you got it all wrong, you're an idiot. And I was like, Jesus Christ, man. Like, I'm just, why are you yelling through hide. fucking text? Yeah, like, why Jesus you sound Christ. like DMX? <laughs> <clears throat> well, fight these tears. <laughs> Fuck, dude. Um... Okay, yeah, so man. Who is, like, who is your go-to, man? Dude, like, my go-to? So my go-to is... I'm kind of... Centipede? No, what? That's a movie. Oh. Uh, no, like, when it comes to horror movies, I don't know. You know me. Classic monster films. I don't really care for like serial killer movies and shit like that. That's not mm-hmm. really my thing. It's not my thing. But when it comes to... You should watch to... Taking Lives. It's got Angelina Jolie and Ethan Hawke in it. Oh. Yeah, it's really Damn. Good. So taking lives has end. No, that was sexy. <laughs> Sorry, I was looking at an ice cream cone. Oh gosh. Yeah. Uh, so the taking lives, Angelina Jolie, and who else? I'm sorry, Hawk. Ethan Hawke. Yeah. So what's up with that movie? So this kid's a hitchhiker, and mm-hmm. he goes through and he takes the identity of the person that he kills. And then he just kind of keeps hitchhiking through life and stuff like that. And he kind of makes it over to Europe being an artist and stuff like that. And then after a while, like, he's kind of disappeared and died off. And, like, even from his original existence and everything. Mm-hmm. And, like, Angelina Jolie is the detective. And she finds him out. She finds out kind of, like, who he is originally and stuff like that. His mother talks about him. She's like, but he's been dead for years. 
She's like, I don't know why you'd be asking about him. Hmm. And, you know, it turns out he's not dead. He just kind of assumed different lives and stuff like that. And he's just been kind of living through life doing that. Like, and every MO is pretty much the same. Like, how he leaves the body and everything like that. So, Angelina Jolie finds out. And, uh, yeah, at one point, he actually, like, encounters his mom and fucking kills her. Ooh. And it's like holding her head in the elevator and Angelina Jolie's like looking at him and he's just holding it and he's like oh and then he just kind of disappears with him what? yeah like the doors close Angelina doesn't make it in time and then like he's riding the elevator up he's just still holding the head and I'm like what the fuck he, he rides it up and he, how does he get away? I don't know movie man movie, movie, movie logic yeah exactly okay yeah, for for me though, when it comes to like, um, I mean, I, I grew up on, of course, like Halloween and stuff like that. Like, those movies terrified me as children, as a child. I mean, um, so like John Carpenter's Halloween and yeah, because I'm thinking like Halloween Town or some shit. No, not Halloween Town. That did not terrify me. No. Oh, that was terrifying to me. Halloween Town was. Yeah. I loved Halloween Town. I watched the entire series uh, night before last. Yeah, it's yeah. on. Um... It's on Disney, Disney Plus. Plus. Yeah. yeah. I'm proud about that, man. But at the same time, those movies are terrifying. Halloween Town is not terrifying. Yes, it is. How? It's everything about it. <laughs> <laughs> All of it. It's horrific. <laughs> How would my father watch, let me watch that as a child? Oh, man. Uh, there's a ghost in there. Exactly. You see one ghost. You know what that ghost does? <laughs> He's in a sweat thing, and they had to get the fucking sweat of a ghost for this, like, potion. And he's just talking about how the little girl has a hood, a sheet over her, because she's, she's being a ghost. And he's like, hey, that's really offensive, okay? I have feelings, too. <laughs> oh, because you can see directly through me doesn't mean I don't have feelings. <laughs> and almost starts crying. Not terrifying. It is terrifying to me. That's real human emotion. <laughs> real human emotion is terrifying. <laughs> Sorry, I'm a sociopath. <laughs> oh man. Mm. So who is your go-to man? Uh, so so for like movies though, I think I mean I grew up on like Friday Thirteenth. I never really watched Nightmare on Elm Street. I never. I mean I watched Halloween as well growing up. Like. Halloween was fucking great. Halloween, the movie Halloween was fucking phenomenal, in my opinion. It was a great movie. I mean, Jamie Lee Curtis, hello. And, you know, it was great. Uh, but, like, old old scary movies, man, you know me. I love those old classics, the old monster movies. Creature from the Black Lagoon, Wolfman. Uh, the remake with Anthony Hopkins was fucking great. I loved it, too, as well. Yeah. Um, Frankenstein, then you have... Dracula, and I did not care for the Dracula remake, really, with Keanu Reeves. I just, just didn't care for that one. Keanu Reeves? Yeah, you didn't see that? No. Dracula, Keanu Reeves. It's a movie. A lot of people love it. I know the writer's in it, too. I just didn't care for it. Gary Oldman was fucking great in it, though. He plays Dracula. Bram Stoker? Yeah. It's, it's Bram Stoker's... Dracula? Yes. And Keanu Reeves is there. Yes. That's why he plays there. Jonathan Harkness, the love interest yeah, the love of interest. Mina, yeah, and which is played by Winona Ryder. Ah, 
tables up turned, <laughs> Lieutenant Gordon. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. So <laughs> that's Tom Hardy. What the fuck? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> fuck? Uh but no, so like my favorite like male serial killer probably had to be Ed Kemper. That one was wild. You told me about that one a while ago. Yeah, I so... I into him a little bit. That motherfucker... So he, like, spared his mother's life of figuring out... That he was a serial killer. That he was a serial killer by fucking murdering her. Yeah, in her so... Sleep. So in that book, yes. So that book he's got there, yeah. It gives a, a brief introduction of, like, how that all goes down. Let me give you the real story. This is the nice one. The real story is he grew up and his mom was a real abusive alcoholic and she worked at the University of California. But at work, she was really great. Everyone loved her. When she came home, she was a bitch, supposedly. And he's like, she's awful. And his father had left and um, because her his mom's a piece of shit, supposedly. Well, he gets left behind with mom and she was afraid because he didn't have a male role model in his life that he was going to be gay. So to toughen him up, she put him down in a cellar, and over the trap door, she put a really heavy table on there, so he couldn't get out. It made him it made him like sleep in the cellar. Yeah, that's how you raise Harry Potter. <laughs> no, that's man. under the staircase. <laughs> that's under the staircase. Well, this is you know California, so they don't have staircases like that. What? <laughs> yeah, because it's California. What? Whatever. Anyway, so that happens. Uh, to him and then dad comes back around he's like what the fuck you can't be doing this shit and she's like fine he won't sleep under there anymore and Ed Kemper goes to live with his grandparents and he, he the first thing he ever killed was a cat supposedly because the cat loved him at first but then it started showing affections to his sister so he kills this cat guys it's like I said it started going to love with his, like love his sisters more supposedly and so he says I have to make it mine completely. So he buries the cat alive, digs it up, decapitates it, and puts its head on a stick, which he kept in his room. And his grandmother was also abusive, like his mother was. And uh, she, yes. This nigga can't win for losing. No, he can't. He can't (laughs) win, right? He has no way of, like, coming out normal, period. Is he still alive? I think so. I can't remember. Uh, so, actually, yeah, I'm pretty sure he is alive. So, he ends up, um, he takes his rifle and wants to go hunting. Uh, so, he walks out the front door to go hunting. And while he's about to walk out the front door, his grandmother starts yelling at him saying, Don't kill any birds! So, he just turns around, shoots her twice in the fucking head. No, no second thought, nothing, just ba-boom! Grandpa's gone to, uh, I think he's gone to some place in like San, uh, San Francisco or something for like a business trip. He comes back. When he gets back immediately, he shoots his grandfather as well. He shot his grandfather so that way he would never find out that his wife was dead. When the detectives came and asked him, and this was at 15, by the way. I did not repeat. Let me repeat that. 15. His, the detectives asked him, hey, why the fuck did you do that? Why did you, why'd you shoot her to begin with? He's like, well... Because she's a bitch. And I wanted to know what it would be like to kill her. So. Done. 
So he goes to prison. Uh, he doesn't actually go to prison. He goes to a mental ward for uh, criminally insane for five years. Gets out when he's 20 years old. Goes to live with his mother. And um, supposedly his parole officer didn't help him at all when he got out originally. And because he was living in a halfway house for a little while. And then goes to live with his mom. Mom's still a bitch. So he's like, fuck this bitch. Hate her. I'm going to go get a job. I'm going to be a police officer. So I can be a police officer. He was too fucking tall. Yeah, he was 6'8", dude. Oh. He's a big motherfucker. <laughs> Fuck. Too tall to be a police officer. And a lot of police officers liked him. So he started, uh, so he went and worked as like a, um, did something, I can't remember what it was. He, he starts working as like a guard for a road crew. Like a, a, a state road crew prison gang, basically. Like they would go through and clean up trash and he would... Like, help make sure that they didn't escape, whatever. He became a uh, CO. No, so he never became a police officer. He didn't work for the prison system itself. He just basically went through and made sure that they were picking up trash the way they're supposed to be. Okay. And that was it. Like, that's that was his fucking job. From what I can understand of his job. So then after that, he comes back. And... Uh, not comes back, but he, he lives that life. He's able to... Leave his house. He gave him enough money to buy a car and move out. So he buys a car and he moves out. And then he starts uh, driving around like old back roads in his spare time because he's got nothing better to do. And so he starts learning these back roads. And the thing is, so he was raised as like 1950s World War II conservative. By at that, that was the process of what he was raised. That's like the people he was raised under. And so then when he got out of prison, the world had completely changed. It was the 1960s. So now it's this whole thing where it's like, oh shit, like, all like all these fucking hippies are doing anti-war, anti-Vietnam shit, and, you know, fuck these people. Because he was real conservative. So, he fucking hated, the, especially he hated, the long-haired hippie girls. Who would hitch rides with anybody, just get across country. So... He started picking a couple up, just to try to like become friendly with them. That way, he could learn how to be normal because he knew he wasn't normal. Because he got bullied a lot as a kid, not because he was like so tall or anything. They bullied him because they thought he was weak. Because he would just like freak kids out because he would just sit down and like stare at other kids. Yeah, yeah. So he's then he started um, thinking about like how he could like become friends with them, get them to where, like, he's actually being friendly with them. Then he started being real friendly with the cops, and they fucking, like, like, oh, yeah, we love Ed. Ed's great. Then he started killing women. And he started chopping off their heads. But when he chopped off their heads, he would fuck their heads. Yeah, he'd and, fuck them. Yeah. But he wouldn't fuck them in the mouth. He'd fuck them with the, the esophagus. So where he cut the head off at, that's where he put his penis in. He didn't understand the mechanics of how that worked, did he? <laughs> I think he did. He was in a mental ward for five fucking years. Pretty sure I understood. he understood exactly how it worked. You but, got his dick sucked in a mental ward? I mean, probably. The thing is, like, so he's been in prison so long now, like, but, but it doesn't matter because this is all prior to that, but he, very well spoken, very intelligent, extremely intelligent human being and 
he just started doing that to these girls, and no one could ever figure it out. First, all the first few were prostitutes, supposedly. Then it started becoming like these randos, like hippie chicks. Yeah. And everyone, like all the cops, are just thinking like, oh, it's just this random like thing. People are just doing copycat kills, whatever. They were not even close to figuring out it was him. So he's at his mom's house one night. She's bitching at him. And he just yells, You know what? Why don't you shut the fuck up, basically? And kills her. And her best friend. And then he fucks his mom's head. And like I think a day later, they're like, he just finally says, Guys, it's me. Yeah. He turns himself in. So he's just, he's just like, ah. Right. He could have be, kept doing this for years. No one would ever know. He won the recognition, though. That's his thing. He wanted recognition because everyone was saying, like, oh, this is really impressive. Like, he's, this person's getting away with all this shit. It's fucking wild. Even after killing his own mother, they still had no idea it was him. He's like, yeah, guys, it's me. I fucking did it. Yeah. I'm the one. Ed Kemper, man. Ed Kemper's wild. Um, so I think it was like he had, he was in, uh, he was in a cell with Richard Ramirez, which you were just reading about, Richard Ramirez. He's also a circular, uh, fucking devil worshiper, quote unquote, person. Uh, he's just fucking insane. He was like super dirty, gross dude. He never fucking showered and shit. And he would try to annoy people. With like singing the same shit and like wagging his dick at people when they'd walk by and everything. So eventually, like fucking Ed Kemper got to a point where he was like Pavlov dogging him. Like whenever he would do something that Ed would or anybody would be like, that's annoying, Ed would like spray him with a bottle of water or something. And then when he did something nice, he'd be like, oh, here you go, here's a treat. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Got to the point where. If Ed, like, said something, like, just, like, said one, one word or some shit, like a Pavlov dog incident, he'd be like, oh, I need my treat now. What the fuck? Yeah. It's fucking great. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah, so Ed Kemper, real interesting, and he actually is the first serial killer um, that's based as a serial killer that people are like, okay, so that's a serial killer. This is what you are. And also, he was one of the first people to help out the, um, the FBI to help track serial killers. He was the first one to give them interviews and to tell them flat out, like, this is what this is. This is how we think. It's not what you think it is. We're not these fucking just insane people. At least I'm not. He's like, no, I just this is the reason why I did the things I did. I knew it was wrong. I don't give a shit. So, like, what were the... Does he ever go into specifics with it? Like, No, yeah, dude. You, you gotta listen to his interviews. It's nuts. Because his interviews are all recorded. With the FBI. And he's not, like, some ramblings of a wild man like Gacy was. Yeah. Because Gacy was all about, like, I didn't do it, but I want all this goddamn attention. Blah, 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 blah. And all this horse shit. But, like, Kemper was just like, you want to know stuff? Here you go. Open book. All I ask for is I want an egg salad sandwich or something. <laughs> he didn't ask for much. It was insane. He's like, I just want to have an intelligent conversation with people. 
And with these animals in here, I can't. So, yeah, it's a Kemper fucking dope. Fucking dope uh, on, on like, not as a person. Because regardless of, the, of anything else, he killed innocent people, and that's fucked up. Like, it's he's a monster. He knows he's a monster, though. And I feel like the fact of the matter is, like, he's more dangerous than any of the other ones because of it. But also, he didn't want to do it anymore. He was done. He's like, I'm finished. It's no longer fun. Yeah. What if he's done it in prison, like inside? Uh, I'd assume. Yeah. I think he's. I think he racked up like 17 kills though, 16 or 17 kills. Before, before he finally turned himself in, yeah. And then you got who's who's the one with like the most? Oh yeah, God. It's not Ramirez. It's uh, in America or the world. Let's go with America. Okay. World's most prolific. Oh, no, I'm sorry. World's. Well, America. America. Fuck yeah. Coming to save motherfucking day, yeah. Yep. Okay, here we go. Let's show because most kills. Oh, uh, that's a, uh, okay, that's, that's Colombia, that's Peru, that's Pakistan, that's Russia. Colombia, I don't feel like it's a lot of... China's got a lot, too. Serial killers? Uh, it's got one, he's got, he's got, this person's got, in three <coughs> years, 67 people. Yeah. All right, Samuel Little. Bless you, Jesus Christ. From 1970 to 2005, I think it's the total count of uh, proven victims was 50, possibles of 73. That's ridiculous. Yep. But then you have Andre Chikotillo with 53, possible 56. Yang Zinhai, 67 total. Like yeah, on both pits. forget Adolf Hitler. Well, he wasn't a serial killer, he was just a piece of shit. Killed a lot of people. And you're one of the highest, though? Yeah, it's Colombian. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Uh, he did in Colombia, Ecuador, and Venezuela. Shit. Luis Garavito. Uh, proven victims. With, it was, this is a seven time, seven years. 138. Possible? 300 plus. Mm -hmm. When they can prove 100... You should just be like, all right, listen, the real number is your mom. Yeah, well, that's what they do. They do shit like that. Uh, Gary Ridgway had 49. Gary Busey? Gary Ridgway. Oh, man, Busey. What happened? Yeah, Samuel Little. Which one's he? I can't remember Samuel he's Little. He's actually in this book, I think. Oh, he's in Georgia. Oh. Mm-hmm. Yep. And, uh... He got eight convictions for 50 kills. Goddamn. And then uh, states convicted in California, Texas, and Ohio. He's from Georgia. I'm trying to remember where his... Uh, you little, this one, dude, that's fine. Dude. You can totally read that. Yeah, he was... Um, fatal strangulations of Melissa Thomas... 
That was in 2000. He, he did that murder in 1996. Uh, dude, it's, he's got a lot. Apparently, he was like on the road a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this fucking dude's nuts. He was finally apprehended in 2012. And he started in uh, 1970. Look, so some of these guys, like, uh, they finally had the Golden State Killer. You heard about that, right? He finally got caught. No. They finally got him, yeah. It was a cop. Yeah, you told me about that. That's, uh, that's a lot. Yeah, dude, he's, he's fucking nuts. Uh, his shit. The, um... Dude, just like... <clears throat> oh, God, it's fucking horrific. He would go in and find couples. And he would, like, make the, uh... Man, the dude, like, watch while he, like, raped the woman. Because they're like, okay, as long as we... we he's done this, it's fine, we're still alive. And then he would, like, make the man, like, put, like, plate... He would put plates on his back. And said, if I hear... Those plates move. You're dead. And so is she. Rape her. And then be like, alright, well, poof, poof. kill them both. Leave. Oh. Mm-hmm. And did they not, like, track human DNA? This is back in the fucking, like, 70s, dog. So, no, DNA wasn't a thing back then. DNA is still new and it's still actually not, like, it's usable in court. But it's not like to what the degree of people think it is. Like, at all. Oh. Well. Yeah. Never mind. Yeah. Because, like, let's say if one of my family members committed a murder, they could still put it on me because they'd be like, oh, like, well, his DNA matches. Yeah. It's close enough match. I think it's like, give me like a 70% match to make sure it's like a, a definite match or whatever. No. This is fucking stupid. DNA is fucking terrible. But, I mean, it's, it's helped out a lot, but in a lot of cases, it's actually made things worse, too. It's, it's weird. Um, But, you know, Ed Kemper, man. Ed Kemper. It's fucking weird. Yeah, no. Uh, <laughs> oh, my gosh, dude. Yeah, uh, so we're, we're going to get into... The next thing I want to talk about, because, I mean, yes, all these, like, serial killers and stuff, they're awful. And I want to talk about one before we get on to the next subject, but I want to talk about the next subject real quick. I want to get into torture. Like, actual torture. Yeah. Yeah, I yeah. I know a little bit about that. Hmm? I actually know a little bit about that. About torture? History, yeah. Okay. Well, we can the definitely get in on that. history and then, uh, of course, the Spanish Inquisition and stuff like that. Um, I don't know if they have new age torture. I know they do have new tactics in torture, stuff like that, but I don't feel like it's as good as it was. Right. Because people had a lot more time to be a lot more creative, you know? I feel like we do a lot of stuff on the fly. Right. And we do. Before we get into that, we're going to go and get into Bell Goodness. Uh, so Ferrero was also forced to ask her mother to stop the police investigation into her disappearance. When Minata's parents were present, she was forced to pose as the girlfriend of one of the guys. So whenever the the main guy who's doing all this shit, whenever his parents are home, like, hey, you gotta you gotta act like you're our girlfriend. 
The later dropped this pretense when it became clear that Manala's parents would not report them to the police. So as soon as his parents were like, yeah, we're not going to say shit. We understand what the fuck you're doing. We know what you're doing. We're not going to call the police. Yeah. The Minados stated that they did not intervene because they were aware of Mignano's Yakuza connections and feared retaliation because their own son was increasingly violent towards them. His brother was also aware of the situation but did nothing to prevent it. She was held captive for 40 days. Yeah. Where she was abused, raped, and tortured. Yeah. The group responsible. Cigarettes out on oh, dude, we're going to get into that. Uh, the group responsible was also invited and encouraged her other Yakuza friends to torment her. Rosalia said that over a hundred men had committed the rape and torture of her. According to their trial statements, the four of them raped her over 400 times, beat her, starved her, hung her from the ceiling, and used her as a punching bag, dropped barbells onto her stomach, forced her to eat live cockroaches and drink her own urine, forced her to masturbate in front of them, and forced her to dance and sing to songs while being beaten. They inserted foreign objects into her vagina and anus, including a lit light bulb and fireworks. They burned her vagina and clitoris with cigarettes and lighters and her eyelids with hot wax. They also tore off her left nipple with pliers and pierced her breasts with sewing needles. She was said to slip into unconsciousness because of the repeated assaults, leading them to dunk her head in a bucket of water each time to continue the torture. Yeah. Fucked up. When her body was found, Aura Niman sea bottles were stuck up her anus and her face was unrecognizable. She was also found to be pregnant despite the severe damage to her uterus. Somebody got to pay child support. Mm-hmm. Oh, I mean, all these people should go to fucking bed. I just bed, Jesus, go to prison. They should <laughs> die. Uh, they should fucking be dead. Some of the accomplices, right. yeah, 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 like go to go take that long nap. Yeah, that really long dirt nap. Yeah, some of the accomplices have been officially identified, including Tetsuo Nakamura and Koshi Ihara, who were charged with rape after their DNA was found on and inside her body. Ihara was allegedly bullied into raping her. After he left Nara household, he told his brother about the incident. His brothers have subsequently told their parents who contacted police. Two police officers dispatched to the house. However, they were informed there was no girl inside. The police officers declined an invitation to look around the house, believing the invitation alone was sufficient proof that there was nothing forward, untoward to be found. So they said, you can come check it out if you want. No, we're cool. Yeah. That's what they fucking said. Yeah. Like, who like, the fuck? <laughs> them. Them, they were like, no, no, you guys seem trustworthy. It's fine. Uh, they faced considerable backlash from the community because of it. Yeah, the two officers of did. No shit. Oh. Had they indeed searched the house and located her, she would have only, that would have only lasted 16 days. A Instead of a full line. fucking 40. Moose, I need you to stop it, buddy. <laughs> buddy. And then after that, uh, and she would have probably recovered from her injuries. For 16 days. But instead, she went through 24 more. Can you imagine going through t- just just 16 days 
of that kind of torture. Having barbells and weights dropped on you. Like, and having, like, um, stuff shoved up your ass and being raped over and over and over and over and over and over again. No. But this chick probably had, like, some Green Lantern, like, if I ever fight the will, like, I'm gonna rape you. Yeah. I spit on your grave shit. Yeah. Yeah, that would have been the way to go. Uh, then, uh, the well, apparently the two officers were fired as well, of course. Well, yeah, like, you gotta be, because... For, for falling to, for failing to follow procedure. Yeah, they were fired. Remember that girl you guys could have saved? Yeah. She's dead now. Yeah. Uh, beginning of December, she attempted to call the police. However, she was discovered by the, the leader of the game before she could say anything. When the police phoned back, he informed them that the original call was a mistake. As punishment for contacting the authorities, her attackers doused her legs and feet in lighter fluid and set them on fire. They also pushed a large bottle into her anus, causing severe bleeding. She reported, reportedly went into convulsions. During the trial, they stated that they thought she was faking a seizure, so they set her on fire again. She survived the injuries, though, and continued to be raped and tortured. She was reported to have asked her captors on multiple occasions to kill her and get it over with. But they refused and said they forced her to sleep outside on the balcony during wintertime and locked her in a freezer. One of the kidnappers told the court that her hands and legs were so badly damaged that it took her over an hour to drag herself downstairs to the toilet. Due to the severity of the torture, she eventually lost bladder and bowel control and she was subsequently beaten for soiling the carpets. She was also unable to drink water or consume food and would vomit after each attempt, for which she would receive further beatings. The brutality of the attacks drastically altered her appearance. Her face was so swollen that it was difficult to make out her features. Her body was also severely crippled, giving off a rotting smell that caused the four boys to lose sexual interest in her. As a result, the boys kidnapped and gangraped a 19-year-old man who, like Feroda, was on her way home from work. On January 4th, 1989, after losing a game of Mahjong, Hiroshi decided to vent his anger on Furuta. This is the leader of the game, Mayano. At this point, she was barely alive. Out of frustration, the boys beat her with an iron barbell, kicked and punched her, and placed two short candles on her eyelids, burning them with a hot wax. They made her stand and stuck her and struck her feet with a stick. At this point, she fell onto a stereo unit and collapsed into a fit of convulsions. She was beating profusely, and pus was emerging from her infected burns. The four boys covered their hands in plastic bags, which were taped at the wrist. They continued to beat her and dropped an iron exercise ball onto her stomach several times. They poured lighter fluid onto her thighs, arms, face, and stomach, and once again set her on fire. She allegedly made attempts to put out the fire, but gradually became unresponsive. The attack reportedly lasted two hours, and she eventually succumbed to her wounds that day. Less than 24 hours after her death, Minato's brother called to tell him that Furuda had appeared to be dead. Afraid of being penalized for murder, the group wrapped her body in blankets and shoved it into a travel bag. They put her body in a 55-gallon drum and filled it with wet concrete. 
They loaded and eventually disposed the drum into a cement truck in Koto. They were arrested for the gang rape of the 19-year-old woman who had kidnapped in December. But then when two police officers came to interrogate them, a woman's underwear had been found at their addresses. During the interrogation, one of the officers led Miano into believing that police were aware of murder committed by Miano, thinking that Ogura had confessed to the crimes against Furuda. Uh, Miano told the police where to find her body. So the leader of the gang told them where they could find the body. Let's see here. Despite the shocking brutality of their crime, the identities of the boys were sealed by the court as they were all considered to be juveniles at the time of the crime. Although journalists from this fucking magazine discovered their identities and they published them as they fucking should have. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so... And it was like, it was, was it like social justice? Where like the people were just like, oh, you got, y'all did that? Alright, cool. Yeah. We're gonna handle that. All four boys pled guilty to committing bodily injury that resulted in death rather than murder. In July 1990, a lower court sentenced Miano, that the alleged leader of the crime, to 17 years in prison. Let me make sure you guys understand that. This is in 1990. He is 17 years. He's out. Yeah. Yes. As of three years ago, he's fucking out. Um... But they, oh, they sentenced, I'm sorry, they sentenced him. 17 years? Yeah. Oh, sorry, that was in 2007, wasn't it? That was in 2007, sorry. Well, they, they went back and they said, no, you're getting an extra three years of stuff because we decided you didn't spend enough long, long enough time. Still 2010. So, yeah, so in 2010, uh, given, he was given the 20-year sentence. is the second highest sentence given in Japan before life imprisonment. He was 18 at the time of the murder. Uh, reportedly sent Furuta's, uh, his mother purportedly sent 50 million yen to the girl's parents after selling the home, which is about $425,000. He was denied parole in 2004. 2013, he was arrested for fraud due to insufficient evidence. He was released without charge later that month. So he's out. Who originally, uh, Minato, who originally received a four to six year sentence, was resentenced to five to nine. Uh, upon appeal, he was 16 at the time of the murder. Parents and brother were not charged. Furuto, uh, Furuta, Furuta's parents were dismayed by the sentences received by their daughter's killers and won a civil suit against the parents of Minato, in whose home the crimes were committed. After his release, Moved in with his mother. He has not worked since. In 2018, he was arrested again for attempted murder after beating a 32-year-old man with a metal rod and slashing his throat with a knife. Um, Watanabe, who was originally sentenced to three to four years in prison, received an upgraded sentence to five to seven years. He's out. No other news on him. And Agura served eight years in juvenile prison before he was released in August 1999. He was 17 at the time of the murder. After his release, he's said to have boasted about his role in the kidnapping, rape, and torture of Furuta. In 2004, he was arrested for assaulting Takatoshi Isono, an acquaintance he thought his girlfriend may have been involved with. Ogura tracked Usano down, beat him, and shoved him in the truck. He drove him to Adachi's and his mother to his mother's bar in Masato, where he allegedly beat him for hours. 
During that time, he repeatedly threatened to kill the man, telling him that he'd killed before and knew how to get away with it. He was sentenced to seven years in prison for the assault and has since been released. The mother allegedly vandalized... Uh, oh, Agura's mother allegedly vandalized Furuta's grave, stating that she had ruined her son's life. The girl he killed. <coughs> it's also been reported that he had depleted his father's savings money, uh, which was intended to be provided as restitution to Furuta's family, buying and consuming a number of luxurious, luxury goods. The sentences were, were largely regarded as far as being far too light for the crimes committed, and all four individuals were protected by special provisions applied to individuals 18 years old and younger. During the sentencing, the judge actually commented that the exceptionally grave and atrocious violence had been inflicted upon the victim, and that Juco Ferrada had been murdered so brutally at the young age of 17 that her soul must be wandering in torment. Upon hearing the details of the brutal rape and torture, a spectator in the gallery fainted. Baruta's mother also reportedly had a mental breakdown, which required psychiatric treatment. Um, so, like, in the courts, did they, like, go into detail? Oh, yeah. Oh, that's great. They went through fucking horrendous detail on everything. Oh, no, that's terrible. Yeah. Guys, you're not going to this is a break, but we need to take a small break for us real quick. My phone is about to die. I'm on 1% battery. So, give us a brief pause. You're not going to know it's a pause, though. Bell fucking Gunness. Mm. Bell Gunness is a American... Well, she wasn't born in America, but uh, considered an American serial killer. Back in the... Okay, so Bell Gunness, born... Brynhild Paulstadter Storset is from Norwegian, Nor Norway, sorry, and she was born in 1859. She possibly died on April 28, 1908. Anyways, however, anyways, so she was a Norwegian American serial killer who is active in Illinois and Indiana between 1884 and 1908. Gunness is thought to have killed at least 14 people. So, she seemingly died in a fire in 1908, but it is popularly, popularly believed that she faked her death. Her actual fate is unconfirmed. I like Belle Gunness. Let me tell you something about Belle Gunness right now. Yeah. Look at the picture of Belle Gunness. Oh. She is a family man. She is a manly-looking lady. <laughs> she is a handsome woman. A handsome woman. Bella Paulstadter. Store set. Mm-hmm. That is her name. Here you go. Let me see it. I'll give you the lowdown. You don't pronounce that that way, man. <laughs> Uh, she's from Selbu, Sor, Trodenlag, Norway. What the fuck was that? Yeah, I, I don't know. Sound like you had Her other names are Hell's Bell, The Black Widow, and Lady Bluebeard. Because Bluebeards are actually men who get wives and kill their wives for money. Yeah, so they'll, they'll take like the wife's dowry and kill her and then leave. 
dowry? Yeah, okay, so back in the day when you were trying to setting up a marriage, um, the man would be the gift to the woman's family. Like, she'll be married off and we'll take care of her. So no longer a problem for you, but in return, I want like three goats and some money and some land to get this going. And if her family had that, they would give it up to the man that's marrying their daughter. As a gift. Mm-hmm. Because the man was a gift. Well, yeah. What if he was no prize? Then they wouldn't. Oh. That made, it's pretty simple. Like, if he was a good dude, yeah. Take her. It's a shitty dude? Take her, but we're going to give you less. We're not going to give you shit. Yeah, it's pretty much like that. Okay, so her criminal activities came to light in 1908, but it probably happened a lot sooner than that. Um, Burnt, well, it definitely happened a lot sooner than that, because that's when she supposedly died. Because uh, that's when her house in LaPorte, Indiana, burned down. And supposedly she was in there. But in the ruins, authority found the bodies of a headless adult woman, initially identified as Belle Gunness and her three children. So, her three kids are dead. She killed him in the fire? Oh, yeah. She definitely did. Uh, okay, so, let's start off real early. So, she comes to America with her sister and her sister's husband. Because they're like, we're going to find a better life. We're going to get married off. We're going to have children. We're going to be doing like stuff in America, living the American dream. Popular thing to do back then in the 1800s, especially late 1800s. And so she's like, cool, let's do it. So they bought a piece of land uh, separately. She wouldn't go to work this land or something. I can't remember. I think, no, that's not what happened. Shit, sorry, audience. She goes off and gets married to this dude. This dude randomly dies, and she has his land. So, don't know how he died. Mysteriously, but, but it was very bad. mysterious. The the um, the meat grinder fell on his head twice. I hate Carol Baskin. It was on the shelf. I don't know how it fell. That's how Carol Baskin did it. Yeah, a fucking tiger. Yeah. He just disappeared. Yeah, basically. But she's like fucking great because she was committing insurance fraud before anyone knew insurance fraud was a thing. She invented insurance fraud. Yeah, she basically did. Same as like H.H. H. Holmes, you know, America's first serial killer. I thought that was a porn star. No. Oh. You're thinking of somebody else, and I can't remember the name of that dude. But H.H. Yeah. H. Holmes, he created the murder castle. Like, he... It, I, we'll get into that in, in, in a little while. But so, Bell Gunness... She'd do insurance fraud to make money. And uh, she had men that she would correspond with through the paper. Her? Yes. Because she would put an ad in the, the paper. The woman. Yes. <laughs> she would make an ad in the paper and say, she's like, Oh, yes, I'm looking for Norwegian man, Norwegian woman, trying to make a family. I have farm, need help working. But also, she was looking for children to help her. So, her sister had children. And she said, hey, like, why don't you give me some of your kids? You got, like, four of them. Give me one. And, like, help me work this farm. And her sister was like, they can come stay for a summer. They gotta come back. 
I thought they were gonna be cool with it. I'm not gonna lie. Uh, yeah, yeah, and you would assume, right? But no, so the so her sister's like well she tells her sister, she's like, Hey, let me buy one off you. I'll buy one of your children. Her sister's like, Uh no. Yeah, that's weird. No, nah, that's not how this happens. Yeah. Well, supposedly when one day this woman comes around and who just has this like three month old baby and she's like, Hey, uh, I'm sick. I need some help. You mind if I come by with my baby and like stay in your house for a She's like, Sure, stay in the house for a little bit. Next thing you know, boom, that woman's disappeared. And Belgrano's like, Look at my baby. My baby, this is its name. Fucking Belgrano's, dude. Like, this is like the real shit that she used to do. And so, um, and then if like you want to get rid of their baby, like their children, she'd be like, I'll take your children. Because she couldn't have any children of her own. Because she would never, like, gain no child. Yeah, because who would want to? I mean, basically, yeah. Who would want to be tra- trapped in that? Well, so then she started um, sending correspondence with other men. So she ended up getting her other children, and she started sending correspondence to other men. And um, she would tell them, like, bring all your uh, all your fortune, like all your wealth, like all your money, and also bring, and don't tell anyone you're coming. Because I want it to, I don't want anyone to have any ideas that were, you know, what if we don't work out, blah, blah. I don't want to just make a big thing, and I want it to be, like, romantic. It's more romantic this way. These were actual letters she sent to people, and they fucking bought it. Wow, she was selling panties before it was popular. Basically, yes. She's like, it'll be so sweet once you're here. Being inside my Norwegian puss. <laughs> like, like, oh. Uh, so they would come and they would finally, they would take all their fucking money out, show up at her place, and like they would, everything would be good for a while. Even she seemed happy. And then out of nowhere, yep, something bad would happen. Uh, a couple of them had heart attacks. Couple of them, you know, just like had accidents, like got kicked in the head by a horse and shit, and like, like yeah, like some of them just like they just so happened to randomly get hurt, um, and so <laughs> he fell and snapped his neck. Right. And so while she, and while she's doing this, she's still doing insurance fraud. Wow. Yes. She's the first like real criminal of the you know. <laughs> Turn of the century. Yeah, okay, so uh, she married Mad Sorensen in 1884. They owned a candy store, which burned to the ground. Insurance fraud. The couple's home had also burned to the ground. Insurance fraud. Yep. He dies. <laughs> uh, Sorensen had purchased two life insurance policies on July 30th. Yep, both policies were active at the same time, as one would expire that day and the other began... Sorensen, so he got two insurance policies. They interacted, so that way if something happened to him that one day, they die. She, they, if he dies that one day, both of them, she'll get to pull out. He died that one random day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So uh, both policies at the same time, as one would expire the next, the next that day, and the other began. Sorensen died of a cerebral hemorrhage that day. Dennis <laughs> explained that he had come home with a headache, and she provided him with. A quinine powder for the for the pain. Claire checked on him, and he was dead. She collected money from both the expiring insurance policies 
and the one that went into effect that day making a total of five grand. That time money. Yeah. Five thousand dollars that time. Which is like today's it's like uh sixty grand or some shit. Yeah. Uh then she would marry Peter Gunnis. Then she kept the name Gunnis. Um <laughs> Peter died eight months later due to a skull injury. She explained that Peter reached for something high on the shelf and a meat grinder fell on him. <laughs> smashing his skull. His death was rolled as an accident. Then we got, uh, after a fire at the Gunness homestead, April 28th, led to discovery of bodies believed to be Gunness and her children. The authorities, blah, 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 relocate to the poor. Uh, so, what we're going to get into now is, uh, she would continue after she got the homestead, the Gunness place, the Gunness homestead. Like, right, like right before the fire happened, I told you she would tell these guys, like, I'm a Norwegian lady, come over and give me all this loving, and we'll get married, and I'll take all your shit, and you'll die. Yeah. Yeah, so she did that for a while. Um, during her last, the last one she did, right before she committed it, or yeah, right before she committed it and everything, before this guy came over, she started corresponding with this uh, other Norwegian guy, but it took her a while to get him to come over. Because he was from Chicago. And so before he would come down and meet with her and everything, um, she needed help on the farm. So she hired this guy, and his name is Ray Lamphier. Uh, a hired hand and on and off lover. And he was convicted of arson in connection with the fire of the of the gunner's house. It was, it was blamed on him. But long story short, he, uh, she hired him on. She's like, hey, I need help with the horses. I need help with all this shit because I, I got these kids. They don't do shit. Help me out. So she's like, okay, I'm going to help you out. Let me get some loving in there, girl. And so she's like, okay. Here and there. You can spend the night in the bedroom once every once in a while. But as soon as like the new guy came around, she kicked his ass to the curb real fast. But, like, he had seen other men come and go, and he knew that there was a room that had a just fuck ton of luggage in it that was never unpacked. <laughs> like, none of it was ever unpacked. Oh. It was just all this wild shit. So she like, didn't dispose of this shit? She just kept it like trophies? Well, yeah, pretty much. Like, some of it, well, at least. Uh, there was other places, like, she because she would bury the family, all the, all the men and everything, in the pig farm. So pigs again. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. But also underground, like and know they trample all the bones and everything. So <laughs> when the police showed up finally for the fire and Ray was like, I wasn't here for it, but like I'm sure she did it yeah. because women is a woman is a terrible person. Blah, blah, and they're like, no, we can never kill her own children. Do this, that, and third. She definitely fucking did. Yeah. Because this, like, she actually had four children to begin with. One of them, like, something bad happened to them, quote unquote. And the Wikipedia does not give anything of what's actually going on here. Bell Gunness is fucking insane. Um. The Gunness Farm is actually still a tourist attraction to this day. So you can see 
the mass grave, the pig farm, and concessions and souvenirs were sold there. Wow. The crime became an acknowledged part of area history, and the County Historical Society Museum has a permanent Bell Gunness exhibit. Gunness has also been the subject of, a subject of at least two American musical ballads. <laughs> yeah. So this big Norwegian lady just comes over and she's like, oh yeah. I'm taking over. Yeah, yeah, it's fucking great. Love Bell Gunness. Because she's the most insane person. Like, there's there's definitely, like, H.H. H. Holmes killed, like, so many fucking people during the World's Fair with um, his murder castle. Because he built this, like, giant hotel or boring house that had, like, secret, like, drop windows. Or not drop windows, but drop floors. Everything that would go to a secret, like, uh, room in the basement where they would drop into vats of acid and things of that nature to, like, like decompose properly. There's also a furnace, and there's, uh, like, in the walls, like, there's actual paintings where the eyes can, like, be cut out and moved so you can just look through the eye holes of the paintings. Yeah. Yeah, that's a real thing. So he's what Scooby-Doo and, like, so many other, like, cartoons have been based off of. Yes, 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 100%. That's fucking wild. Yeah, um, he really liked blonde women. That's his thing. So he killed like I don't know how many women he killed, or man, he killed a bunch of fucking people during the World's Fair in Chicago. Um, well, I had to read up on that motherfucker. I've never heard of him. Yeah, H. H. Holmes is fucking nuts. He got caught because of insurance fraud. That's the reason why he got caught. Because <clears throat> because he, he kept marrying women while he was already married to another woman. He was married at one time like three times to the same woman. Yeah, it's fucking weird he's shit. Just, he's just okay with throwing away money, isn't he? Mm-hmm. Now, Manny, I'm going to ask you a question. Do you want to hear the murder of Junko Furuta, or would you like to hear the rape of Nanking? You told me a little bit about the rape of Nanking. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll get on to that one on the second part. Like, the second, you know, like, do do the first one. The, the murder? Yeah, the murder of uh, okay. Jun Tao. That's racist. Junko Furuta. Junko Fruit. Jesus Christ. Okay, guys, this is... If you cannot handle real fucked up shit, this is the point you need to leave. Leave the podcast immediately. We'll see you on another episode. This is out. Man, you can't leave. You have to be here for it. Man, you have to be here. Get over here. Alright. So, Junko Furuta was a Japanese high school student who was abducted, tortured, raped, and murders, murdered in the late 1980s. This was in Japan, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, you know about this one? I do, actually. I think it's Japan. Yes, yes, it's, it's, it's Japan. Uh, she was born in 1971, and she was... They ab- kept her alive for, like, days. Dude, let's get into it. Okay, so... Her murder case was named Concrete Encased High School Girl Girl Murder Case due to her body being discovered in a concrete drum. The abuse was mainly perpetrated by four teenage boys, Hiroshi Miyano, Joe Ogura, 
Shinji Minato, and Yashui Watanabe. Okay. Yeah, I know. I only have 4% battery, guys. It's okay. We need to pause and, like, hook up the, like, no, not your penis. No, don't want, no. No! <laughs> we need to go have a charger to it. We can do that in here a little bit. It's fine. Okay. So, she was a teenager. She attended this high school and worked part-time during after-school hours. So, with her parents, her elder brother, and her younger brother, prior to her abduction, she had accepted a job at an electronics retailer where she planned on working after graduation. This is her background. She's a very serious student with high grades and very infrequent absences. She'd been working part-time at a plastic molding factory twice a week since October 1988 to save up money for a graduation trip she had planned. On the day of her abduction, she was said to have been looking forward to the final episode of a Japanese drama series, Tanbo. On November 25th, 1988, Miyano and his friend Minato wandered around Masato... This is these are real names. Sorry, guys. <laughs> With the intention Must of robbing correct. and raping local women. At 8.30, they spotted Furuta cycling home after she finished her part-time job. Under Miyano's orders, Minato kicked Furuta off her bicycle and immediately fled the scene. Miyano, under the pretense of it being a coincidence that he had witnessed this attack, approached Furuta and offered to walk her home safely. She accepted his offer and was unaware that Miyano was leading her to a nearby warehouse where he revealed his Yakuza connections. Miyano threatened to kill her as he raped her in the warehouse and once again in a nearby hotel. From the hotel, he called Minato his, and his other friends, Joe Ogura and Yashui Watanabe, and dragged them and bragged to them about the rape. He reportedly asked Miyano, one of his friends asked him, to keep her in captivity in order to allow numerous people to sexually assault her. The group had a history of gang rape, and had recently kidnapped and raped another girl who was released afterward. But they didn't do that with her. They kind of released her. They didn't keep her body. They didn't do that with her, though. Yeah. Long story short... Okay, so... Miyano took her back to a nearby park, and where they all were waiting, and they had learned her home address from a notebook in her backpack, and told her they knew where she had lived and that Yakuza members would kill her family if she attempted to escape. She was overpowered by the four boys and taken to a house in the Yasi district of Adashi, where she was gang-raped. The house was owned by Minato's parents, that soon became the gang's regular hangout. Uh, on 27th of November, Farada's parents contacted police about their daughter's disappearance. And in order to discourage further investigation, the kidnappers coerced her into calling her mother. She was forced to say that she had run away, but was safe and staying with a friend. Dickhead balls! And we're back. Like I said, for you guys, no time. For us, that was like 20 minutes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because I have to get my shit together. Like, wildly together. Well, so. maybe I had to charge my phone. It was definitely on like 1% when we stopped. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, Bird, now we're at 17, so at least we're something. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, now we're going to get on the topic of the rape of Nan King. Man, you need your phone so I can show you oh, the, yeah, yeah. I can get with you on this. <coughs> Excuse me. All right, guys. So, the rape of Nan King. It's, oh God, that's Samsung Pay. Oh God. Things and stuff. Okay. 
also the also known as the Nanking Massacre, was an episode of mass murder and mass rape committed by Imperial Japanese troops against the residents of Nanking, the then capital of China, during the Second Sino-Japanese War. Alright, now, I'm going to go ahead and let you know that this took place. December 13th, 1937, to January 1938. It's like a month. Month and a half. So, like, pretty much while, you know, the world is in dire straits through the fucking holocaust and all that shit and they're out here just doing that shit yeah yeah this is so this is during like right before the holocaust really took hold like in 1939 1940 this is japan is going through and they're infiltrating and invading china yeah they invaded china straight up so right after this they go like Fuck it, we're going to go to World War II now. <laughs> like, we know some shit now. We just fucked the Chinese up hardcore because in a month, a single month, the result, according to primary sources, is wildly, wildly, like, just, just so far away from each other. 50,000 to 300,000 people died. And scholarly, a scholarly consensus says it's 40,000 to 300,000 people. But the Chinese government says it's 300,000. No offense or buts about it, 300,000 people died. In the span of like a month? In a span of like a month and a half. That's ridiculous. Yes. So, it's a period of six weeks. Six fucking weeks. It started on the day the Japanese captured Nanking. Now, during this t- time, the soldiers of the Imperial Japanese Army murdered disarmed combatants and Chinese civilians and per- perpetrated widespread rape and looting and murdered over 40,000 to 300,000 people. Since most Japanese military records on the killings were kept secret or destroyed shortly after the surrender of Japan in 1945... Thanks to the big U.S. of A., historians have been unable to accurately estimate the death toll of the massacre. In 1946, the Military Tribunal for the Far East in Tokyo estimated that over 200,000 Chinese were killed in the incident. China's official estimate is more than 300,000, based on the evaluation of the Nanking War Crimes Tribunal in 1947. The death toll has been contested by scholars since the 80s. Now, the events remain a contentious, a contentious political issue and an obstacle in Sino-Japanese relations. The, the Chinese government has been accused of exaggerating the aspects of the massacre, such as the death toll by many Japanese historical negotiators and Japanese nationalists go as far as claiming the massacre was fabricated for propaganda. Of course they say that. Yeah, because like, they're like, no, 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 no. That's like Holocaust deniers, man. Yeah, it's like, you know, Germany, they've completely denied, you know, what happened between those years. Everyone in Germany went on vacation. <laughs> nein! Everyone was on vacation. Nein, 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 nein! <laughs> oh, uh, so, uh, here we go, here we go, here we go. Uh, the controversy surrounding the massacre remains a central issue in Japanese culture relations. 
with other Eastern Asian nations. Who the fuck wants to be remembered as those guys? Yeah. Like, yeah, we totally did that. Like, listen, yeah. we're totally sorry about that. Uh, so, like, now I see why, like, you know, they don't get along very well. Yeah, including South Korea. South Korea is also like, nah, fuck Japanese. Nah. They did some fuck shit. Yeah, yeah. But you know what? Anime's pretty great. Yeah. You know what? I'll give them that. I'll give them that. They, they do everything they better had, than us. Because that's, that's their making up for what, you know, kind of shit that they did. Yeah. I mean, I mean, here's the thing, though, right? So the government of Japan has admitted to the killing of many non-combatants, looting other violets committed by the Imperial Japanese Army after the fall of Nanking. And they're really, really sorry about it. Yeah. And, and Japanese veterans who served there have confirmed that the massacre took place. A small but vocal minority in the Japanese government and society have argued that the death toll was military in nature and that no other crimes were committed. Denial of the massacre and the revel, uh, revisionist accounts of the killings have become a staple of Japanese nationalism. In Japan, public opinion of the massacre varies, but few deny outright that the event occurred. <laughs> so most people are like, yeah, 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 that's fucked. We did some bad shit. Okay, so here's the situation military-wise, Okay. So, in August 1937, Japanese army invaded Shanghai, where they met strong resistance and suffered heavy casualties. The battle was bloody as both sides faced attrition in urban hand-to-hand combat. By uh, by mid-November, the Japanese had captured Shanghai with help of naval and aerial bombardment. The general staff headquarters in Tokyo initially decided not to expand the war due to high casualties incurred in the low morale of troops. Nevertheless... On December 1st, headquarters ordered the Central China Area Army and the 10th Army of Capture, Nanking, then capital of the Republic. So even though all Tokyo was like, we're not going to continue more, it's too much, both sides have lost a lot, you know, we don't want to do any more, we're going to stop. Just fucking kidding, we're going to keep going. (laughs) (coughs) We're going to take the fucking capital. And that's what the fuck they did. All right, uh, the, the capital was later relocated uh, after losing the Battle of Shanghai. The, the Shang Kai-shek, whoever that is, I could look that up real quick, I guess. Uh, he was a nationalist politician and a revolutionary military leader who served as leader of the Republic of Japan during the time. So, at the time... He was president, basically. And uh, he knew it was a matter of time before they took Nanking. So he's like, hey, we gotta get the fuck out. He and his staff realized that they could not risk the annihilation of their elite troops in a symbolic but hopelessly defense of, uh, hopeless defense of the capital. To preserve the army for future battles, most of it was withdrawn. So China took most of the army out of Nanking. They left some behind. They left the, the ones who didn't give a fuck about the strategy was to follow the suggestion of his German advisors to draw the Japanese army deep into China and use China's vast territory as a defensive strength. Not a bad move. Same, uh, Russians do the same thing. That's why Russia's never been taken over. Because what they do in Russia is if you start invading Russia from one side, they, uh, they go forward. They go, if you're going from the east, let's say like, like Germany did yeah, when they tried to invade Russia. They just kept pulling back, but in the, when Russia kept pulling back, they would burn everything coming back. So that when the German troops got through, and even the French troops during Napoleon's reign, they had nothing. They couldn't get like any food. 
Everything was gone. Everything was slaughtered. Everything was taken away. There was barely any shelter left. Yeah, and they had, they had to, to weather the elements. elements. Yeah. They had to weather elements. They had to weather hunger and uh, morale gets real low and they, they lose supplies very fast because you can't get supplies to them quickly enough. Yeah. So that's really the big problem with that. But the same here with China. Keep moving back. Burn everything. Keep moving back. They didn't burn everything. And they didn't take all the people with them. That's the problem. Uh, so he did this. He planned to fight a protracted war of attrition to wear down the Japanese in the hinterland of China. Um, the strategy of defense was in a press release to foreign reporters. Some guy announced the city would not surrender and would fight to the death. He gathered about 100,000 soldiers, largely untrained, including Chinese troops who are participated in the Battle of Shanghai. So troops who are already, like, tired. Yeah. And people who are untrained, uh, he has them. That's it. So he's got a bunch of farmers and then, like, a bunch of dudes that are just tired. Are wounded as fucking tired. Yeah. Yeah, he's got those people. He's like, they're going to fight to the death. It's like, like, no. I don't want to. I'm tired. I don't want to do this. So, uh, <laughs> so the Chinese government left for location on December 1st, and the president left on December 7th, leaving the fate of Nanking to an international committee, committee led by John Rabe, a German national. John Ramey? Rabe. Ah, John Rabe. <laughs> An attempt to secure permission for this ceasefire from Generalismo. Rabe, who was living in Nanking and had been acting as the chairman of the Nanking International Safety Zone Committee, boarded the USS Panay on December 9th. From this gunboat, Rabe sent two telegrams. The first was to was to Shang through an American ambassador in Hankou, asking that Chinese forces undertake no military operations. So why don't you do nothing within Nanking? The second telegram was sent to Shanghai to Japanese military leaders advocating for a three-day ceasefire so the Chinese could withdraw from the city. Saying, like, hey, don't come in. We'll leave. Everyone, just be cool. We need to leave here. We understand. Like, we're not going to win this one. You guys can just take it. Yeah. Okay? And then the following day, December 10th, he got his answer from the Chinese journalismo, which is the president at the time, the leader of the Republic of China. Um, the American ambassador in Hakao replied that although he re- supported his proposal for a ceasefire, the leader did not. Shang Xiang uh, did not say that. He says that uh, Rafe says that the ambassador also sent us a separate confidential telegram telling us that he has been officially informed by foreign ministry in Hankow that our understanding that General Tang agreed to a three-day armistice, armistice, and the withdrawal of his troops from Nanking is mistaken, and moreover. That Shane Case Sheik has announced that he is not in a position to accept such an offer. The rejection of the committee's ceasefire plan in Rabe's mind sealed the fate of the city. Nanking had been constantly bombed for days, and the Chinese troops that remained there were disheartened and had taken to drinking before the city's inevitable fall. So they're like, fuck it, let's get drunk. It's yeah. all gonna fucking go to shit. We might as well be drunk when we die. Yeah. On December eleventh. Yeah, and December eleventh, Rabe, the, the the German nationalist now found that Chinese soldiers were still residing in areas of the safety zone, meaning that it became an indented, an intended target for Japanese attack, despite the majority being innocent civilians. So these soldiers just said, fuck it, we're going to stay with all these civilians. They want to attack us. Fuck you. Japanese don't give a shit. They're going to come through, and they're going to kill you too. 
and not mention they're going to continue to kill the innocent Chinese civilians. He commented on how efforts to remove the Chinese troops had failed, and Japanese soldiers began to lob grenades into the refugee zone. Yeah. So, uh, Japanese war crimes on the march to Nanking. Uh, contest to kill 100 people using a sword. That was one of the things they did. So they straight up samurai styled that shit. They were like, yeah, that's yeah. the last go! Uh, yeah, and the headline reads, Incredible record. In the contest, cut down 100 people. Mukai, 106. 105, Noda. Both second lieutenants go into extra innings. Sounds like a fucking... Yeah. Sounds like a radio commercial. Yeah. About baseball. But no. But it's people dying. They're the baseballs. Swords are bats. <laughs> Sword used in contests on display at the Republic of China Armed Forces Museum in Taipei, Taiwan. Although the massacre is generally described as having occurred over a six-week period after the fall of Nanking, the crimes committed by the Japanese army were not limited to that period. Many atrocities were reported to have been committed as the Japanese army advanced from Shanghai to Nanking. So while they're just coming up, they're like, we're going to keep doing shit. So like in... To make sense of that, it would be like, remember, everyone knows the story of Sherman burning the South down. Yeah. Yeah, during the Civil War. Yeah, it's like that. Uh, except they were very, they were a lot more creative. Uh, let's see here. The Japanese, man. They brought a salmon. Amine. They brought a salmon? Yeah, some amine. Some amine. I live in a salmine. <laughs> According to one Japanese journalist embedded with Imperial forces at the time, the reason that the 10th Army is advancing Nanking quite rapidly is due to the tacit consent among the officers and men that they could loot and rape as they wish. Meaning, like, they gave them extra consent to go, like, hey, take all you want. Everything, yeah. including women. Yeah, and you know what? Women. Men, if you want to, too. And they're like, you're just giving us free reign to be terrible fucking people? Yes. Straight up fucking, um... You know that they raped dogs. They did whatever. I'm pretty sure they ate dogs. Uh, let's see here. Then, perhaps the most notorious atrocity was a killing contest between two Japanese officers, which we just talked about. They could kill 100 people first, using only a sword. That's amazing. In 2000, historian Bob uh, Tadashi Wakabayashi... Occur, uh, concurred Those with names are a mouthful. Yeah, they are. Concurred with certain Japanese scholars who had argued that the contest was a concocted story with the collusion of the soldiers themselves for the purpose of raising the national fighting spirit, which would make sense. Like, if you want your people to go on a fucking murder spree, why not tell them we got two lieutenants, the two high-level officers? They're going on. Who's going to get the first hundred kills with using a sword only? Yeah. Like, fuck. They're the original Call of Duty players. I was going to say, like, that sounds like some Call of Duty shit. Yeah. Yeah. In 2005, a Tokyo district judge dismissed a suit by the families of the lieutenant, stating that the lieutenants admitted that the fact they had they raced to kill 100 people. And the story cannot be proven to be clearly false. This was in 2006? Yeah, 2005. They're still arguing there's, about yeah, this? Yeah, dude, they're still arguing about it to this day. The judge also ruled against the civil claim of the plaintiffs because the original article was more than 60 years old. The histor historicity of the event remains disputed in Japan. And they don't know if it's real or not. 
They're saying it's not. Some people are saying that it is. Who knows? Here, he said, she said. Bullshit. Yeah. Even though there's clearly pictures, like there's a picture of like one of the uh, one of the lieutenants right here, like about to chop a dude's head off. Yeah. Like it's it's coming in. It's coming in quick. You know. Um. Now they're cheating Chinese troops scorched earth policy, so they did have a scorched earth policy apparently. Uh, the Nanking garrison forces set fire to buildings and houses in the areas close to Shikuan to the north, as well as the in. Inverons of the eastern and southern city gates. Targets within and outside the city walls, such as military barracks, private homes, the Chinese Ministry of Communication, forests, and even entire villages were completely burnt down. An estimated value of U.S. dollars to 20 to 30 million. Yeah. Now, they did that. They burnt everything around Nanking. But not really Nanking. Yeah. Supposedly. Many Westerners were living in the city at the time, and this is is making sure that they created the safety zone, conducting trade or missionary trips. As the Japanese army approached Nanking, most of them fled the city, leaving 27 of them, 27 foreigners. Five of these were journalists who remained in the city a few days after it was captured, leaving the city on December 16th. 15 15 of the remaining 24 foreigners formed a committee called the International Committee for the Nanking Safety Zone in the western quarter of the city. So, yeah, it, the city's still active. Oh. Yeah, so the German guy, John Rabe, was elected as its leader in part because of his status as a member of the Nazi Party and the existence of the German-Japanese Bilateral Anti-Comintern Pact. Japanese government have previously agreed not to attack parts of the city that did not contain Chinese military forces. And the members of the committee managed to persuade the Chinese government to move their troops out of the area. The Nanking Safety Zone was demarcated through the use of Red Cross flags. Although, clearly we just read, we just stated, he was not successful in getting them away from the civilians. He was not successful getting getting the the Chinese troops away from everyone else. So those people fucking died. Yeah. Yeah. On December first, nineteen thirty seven, Nanking Mayor Ma Chao Shun ordered all Chinese citizens remaining in Nanking to move into the safety zone. Many fled the city on December seventh, and the international committee took over as the de facto government of Nanking. So you got foreigners running this city now. Yeah. That's it. Prince Asaka appointed as a commander. You know, uh, Prince Asaka is alleged to have issued an order to kill all captives. Um, all captives. And he's uh, the prince of Japan. Um, December 5th, Asaka left Tokyo by plane and arrived at the front three days later. He met with division commanders. Listen, just sit down, buddy. I love you, but you need to lay down. Uh, three years later, you know, the division commanders, lieutenant generals, uh, who informed him that the Japanese troops had had almost completely surrounded 300,000 Chinese troops in the vicinity of Nanking, and their preliminary negotiations suggested that the Chinese were ready to surrender. And they were. That's the thing, though. They, they, they'd surrounded basically everything they could of what was going on in, in the Nanking. And they're like, we're going to come in. We're going to take over. That's the way it is. Everyone knew it was on. Everyone was on the same page. Except for the fact that 
the president of China was like, you guys want me to just pull everybody out? Like, everything? No, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to make them fight for it a little bit. And Japan's like, yeah, they're still there. We don't give a shit. We're taking it. Yeah. Even you already knew beforehand, that's the reason why you left, that we were going to take this. Yeah. You left people for what reason? For your more people to die. So, real dumb part on China's part. I mean, I understand why, but at the same time, fuck. Yeah, that's fucked, man. You're supposed yeah. to protect those people. Yeah. But, and also, Japanese don't like prisoners. Kill all captives. That's providing official sanction for the crimes which took place during and after the battle. They say that uh, Prince Asaka signed the order for Japanese soldiers in Nanking to kill all the captives. That was a couple of authors. Others assert that Lieutenant Colonel and Asaka's aide-de-camp uh, sent this order under the prince's sign manual without the prince's knowledge or assent. Um, doesn't matter. It happened. He either said it or someone said it for him. And here come what happens next. The battle. They first seize the city, and uh, they're outside the gates on December 9th, okay? So, breaching the last lines of Chinese resistance and arriving outside the gates of Nanking on that day. Uh, they demand surrender at noon, at 12 o'clock on December 9th. They sent out leaflets, and they gave them 24 hours, promising no mercy. Leave. Give up. But if you don't, we're going to kill everything and everyone. We don't Still care. Here. Yeah. In the meantime, members of the committee contacted uh, Tang, who was the general at the time, and proposed a plan for a three-day ceasefire, which the Chinese troops could withdraw without fighting while the Chinese troops could stay, Japanese troops would stay in the present position. And like I said, they sent all that, uh, Rabe, the German guy, sent that stuff to the Chinese leader and said, like, let's do this. And he was like, no, fuck that. Cannot afford to lose this position. Japan was like, yeah, we will. We'll wait. We'll wait three days. You're gonna. Mm-hmm. So they waited three days. The Japanese waited an answer to their demand for surrender, but no response was received. On the deadline of December 10th, waited another hour before issuing the command to take Nanking by force. The Japanese army mounted its assault on the Nanking walls from multiple directions. The 16th Division attacked three gates on the eastern side. The 6th Division of the 10A launches offensive on the western walls, and the SES 9th Division advanced to the area in between. So they're coming up from the south and the east and west. So only the north is available for anyone to move out. But they burnt everything on the way out. So there's nowhere for them to go. They come through and they start fucking shit up. On December 12th, under heavy artillery fire and aerial bombardment, General Tang ordered his men to retreat. So he waited like two fucking days, and then finally said, all right, you guys can go now. But what followed was nothing short of chaos. Some Chinese soldiers stripped civilians of their clothing in a desperate attempt to blend in because they knew if they were caught, they were dead. And many others were shot by the Chinese supervisory and unit as they tried to flee. So, so that's like, it's like, we, we told you you can leave, but you got to leave in an orderly fashion. They just fucking ran fucking broke loose Chinese people start killing their own people mm -hmm. on the 13th the 6th and the uh, 116th divisions of the Japanese army were the first to enter the city facing little military resistance simultaneously the 9th division entered 
nearby Guanghu <clears throat> Gate in the 16th Division entered the Shangshan Taiping Gates. And that afternoon, two small Japanese Navy fleets arrived on both sides of the Yangtze River. So they're fucked. Like, they're surrounded. <clears throat> so uh, they tried to get some more of them. Uh, they ended up encountering 20,000 Chinese soldiers who were making their way from Zhikon, and they got them too, pulled them in. The Japanese army conducted its mopping up operation both inside and outside the Nanking safety zone. Since the area outside the safety zone had been almost completely evacuated, the mopping up effort was concentrated in the safety zone. The safety zone, an area of 3.85 square kilometers, was packed with the remaining population of Nanking. Uh, estimated to be around 4,000 people. Now, the civilian evacuation, there, uh, with the relocation of the capital of China and the ports of Japanese brutalities, most of the civilian population fled, to Nan fled, fled Nanking out of fear. Both the families were the first to flee, leaving Nanking in automobiles, followed by evacuation of the middle class and then the poor while only the destitute lowest classes, such as the ethnic Tonka boat people, remain behind. More than ethnic Tonka boat people. Yes, that's what it says. Ethnic Tonka boat people. Tonka. It's T A N K, T A N K A. So more than three quarters of the population have fled Nanking before the Japanese arrived as well. This is a very highly populated city too. I mean, it's China. Everywhere's fucking populated shit. Doesn't matter how old. Yep. So the eyewitness recounts of Westerners and Chinese present at Nanking in the weeks after the fall of the city say that over the course of six weeks following the fall of Nanking, Japanese troops engaged in mass rape, murder, torture, theft, arson, and other war crimes. <clears throat> Some of the primary accounts, including the diaries of John Rabe and American mini veteran, came from foreigners who opted to stay behind to protect the Chinese civilians from harm. Other accounts include first-person testimonies of Nanking massacre survivors, eyewitness reports of journalists, both Western and Japanese, as well as field diaries of military personnel. American missionary John McGee stayed behind to provide a 16-millimeter film documentary that first in first-hand photographs the Nanking massacre. Uh, a group of foreigner expatriates, uh, foreign expatriates headed by... Uh oh, hang on. Google's. Sorry, guys. Um, some expatriates headed by Rabe and formed had formed a 15-man international committee on November 12th and mapped out the Nanking safety zone. Oh, we talked about all that. They were trying to get people out, refugees and everything like that. Massacre contest. In 1937, Osaka Manchi Shimbum and its sister newspaper, the Tokyo Nichi Nichi Shimbum, <laughs> covered a contest between two Japanese officers. Oh, we do that shit. Look, this is fucking stupid. I mean, come on. Give me the shit that I'm trying to talk about. I hate Wikipedia, guys. I apologize. I really do. Um, okay. Here we go. The International Military Tribunal of the Far East estimated that 20,000 women, including some children and elderly, were raped during the occupation. Elderly? Mm-hmm. And children. People. And children. I mean, that's fucked up, but like that's kind of to be expected. You don't expect old people getting raped. I think anyone would get raped, but these are all women. All females. What is it that I was reading about? 20,000 <clears throat> fucking women. 
think it was uh, Richard Ramirez. They said like his first victim was like seventy nine years old. What the fuck? Yeah, dude, it was wild. And that sounds fucking wild. Um, a large number of rapes were done systematically by the Japanese soldiers as they went door to door searching for girls, with many women being captured and gang raped. The women were often killed immediately after being raped, often through explicit mutilation, or by penetrating vaginas with bayonets, long sticks of bamboo, or other objects. Young children were not exempt from these atrocities and were cut open to allow Japanese soldiers to rape them. On December 19th, 1937, the Reverend James M. McCollum wrote in his diary, I know not where to end. Never I have heard or heard such brutality. Rape, rape, rape. We estimate at least 1,000 cases a night in many by day. In case of resistance or anything that seems like disapproval, there is a bayonet stab or a bullet. People are hysterical. Women are being carried off every morning, afternoon, and evening. The whole Japanese army seems to be free to go and come as it pleases and do whatever it pleases. On March 7th, 1938, a year after it, all this went down, a surgeon at the university hospital in the safety zone administered by the United States, administrated by the United, U.S., wrote in a letter to his family, a conservative estimate of people slaughtered in cold blood is somewhere about 100,000, including, of course, thousands of soldiers that had thrown down their arms. Here are two excerpts from his letters on 15th of December and 18th of December. The slaughter of civilians is appalling. I could go on for pages telling of cases of rape and brutality almost beyond belief. Two bayoneted corpses are the only survivors of seven street cleaners who were sitting in their headquarters when Japanese soldiers came in without warning or reason, reason and killed five of their number and wounded the two that found their way to the hospital. Let me recount some instances occurring in the last two days. Last night, the house of one of the Chinese staff members of the university was broken into and two of the women, his relatives, were raped. Two girls, about 16, were raped to death in one of the refugee camps. In the university middle school, where there are 8,000 people, the Japs came in tens, 10 times last night. Over the wall, stove food, clothing, and raped until they were satisfied. They bayoneted one little boy of eight who had five bayonet wounds, including one that penetrated his stomach. A portion of omentum was outside of the abdomen. I think he will live. He kept, uh, kept his diary during the aggression against the city its occupation by the Imperial Japanese Army. Wrote many comments about Japanese atrocities. For 17th December, this is John Rabes. Two Japanese soldiers have climbed over the garden wall and are about to break into our house. <clears throat> when I appear, they give the excuse that they saw two Chinese soldiers climb over the wall. When I show them my party badge, they return the same way. In one of the houses in the narrow street behind my garden wall, a woman was raped and was wounded in the neck with a bayonet. I managed to get an ambulance so we could take her to Kulu Hospital. Last night, up to a thousand women and girls are said to have been raped, about a hundred girls at Yinling College alone. You hear nothing but rape. If husbands or brothers intervene, they're shot. What you hear and see on all sides is the brutality and bestiality of Japanese soldiers. There are also accounts of Japanese troops forcing families to commit incestuous acts. 
Sons were forced to rape their mothers, and fathers forced to rape their daughters. Irish Chang estimated that the number of Chinese women raped by Japanese soldiers ranged from 20,000 to 80,000. So at minimum, 20,000 women and children and elderly were raped in a six-week period. Now, following a you know, massacre of civilians, the following the capture of Nanking, a massacre which was per perpetrated by the Imperial Japanese Army, led to the deaths of up to 60,000 residents in the city. A figure difficult to precisely calculate due to the many bodies deliberately buried in mass graves or deposited in the Yangtze River by the International J Japanese Army, the IGA, the IJA. Japanese ultra-nationalists have strongly disputed such death tolls, with some claiming to have no more than several hundred civilians were killed during the massacre. But on December 13, 1937, John Ray wrote in his diary, It is not until we tour the city that we learn the extent of destruction. We come across corpses every 100-200 yards. The bodies of civilians I examined had bullet holes in their backs. These people had presumably been fleeing or were shot from behind. The Japanese marched through the city in groups of 10 to 20 soldiers and loot the shops. I watched with my own eyes as they looted the cafe of our German baker, Herr, uh, Herr Kessling. Excuse me, guys. <laughs> Bless me. I had to sneeze. Hempel's hotel was broken into as well, as was almost every shop on Chongsang and Taiping Road. John McGee, uh, the reverend who made the film, uh, he then wrote, During the Japanese reign of terror in Nanking, which, by the way, continues to this day to a considerable degree, this is in February of 1938, the Reverend John McGee, a member of the American Episcopal 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 Church Mission, who has been here for almost a quarter of a century, took motion pictures that eloquently bear witness to the atrocities committed by the Japanese. One will have to wait and see whether the highest officers in the Japanese Army succeed, as they have indicated in stopping the activities of troops, which continue even today. It's it's fucked. Uh, here's one of the baby uh, December 13th about 30 soldiers came to a Chinese house at number 5 His Lu Ku in the southeastern parts of Nanking and demanded entrance the door was opened by the landlord a Mohammedan named Ha they killed him immediately with a revolver and also Mrs. Ha who knelt before them after Ha's death begging them not to kill anyone else Mrs. Ha asked them why they killed her husband and they shot her Mrs. Shia was dragged out from under a table in the guest hall where she had tried to hide with her one-year-old baby. After being stripped and raped by, more, by one or more men, she was bayoneted in the chest and then had a bottle thrust into her vagina. The, the baby was killed with a bayonet. Some soldiers then went to the next room where Mrs. Uh, Mrs. Shia's parents, aged 76 and 74, and her two daughters, aged 16 and 14, were... They were about to rape the girls. When the grandmother tried to protect them, the soldiers killed her with a revolver. The grandfather gra grasped the body of his wife and was killed. The two girls were then stripped, the elder being raped by two to three men, and the younger by three. The older girl was stabbed afterwards, and a cane was rammed in her vagina. The young girl was bayoneted also, but was spared the horrible treatment that had been meted out to her sister and mother. She was made into a popsicle. Yep. The soldiers then bayoneted another sister of between seven to eight. Who's also in the room? The last murders in the house. Her. Yeah. 
The last members of the house were the Haas' two children, aged four and two respectively. The older was bayoneted and the younger split down through the head with a sword. Yep. In 2009, the Japanese Supreme Court ordered Shudo Higashikata, I don't know, the publisher of some book to pay 4 million yen in damages to Mrs. Shukunjia, who claimed to be the who claims to be the 7 or 8 year old girl who appears in McGee's film. Higashina Kano had claimed in his book that she and the girl were different persons and that she was not a witness of the Nanking massacre, but he was unable to prove this at trial. Pregnant women were targeted for murder as their stomachs were often bayoneted, sometimes after rape. Um, the seventh and last person in the, in the first row was a pregnant woman. The soldier thought this he might as well rape her before killing her, so he pulled out her out of the group to a spot about 10 meters away. As he was trying to rape her, the woman resisted fiercely. The soldier abruptly stabbed her in the belly with a bayonet. She gave a final scream as her intestines spilled out. Then the soldier stabbed the fetus with some umbilical cord clearly visible and tossed it aside. Nigga. Yeah. Uh, extrajudicial killing of Japanese prisoners of war. Um, soon after the fall of the city, Japanese troops made a thorough search for Chinese soldiers and, sum and summarily arrested thousands of young Chinese men. Many were taken to the Yangtze River, where they were machine-gunned to death. Uh, it was probably the, the single largest massacre of Chinese troops. The Straw String Gorge Massacre occurred along the banks of the Yangtze River on December 18th. For most of the morning, Japanese soldiers tied the POWs' hands together. At dusk, the soldiers divided POWs into four columns and opened fire. Unable to escape, the POWs could only scream and thrash desperately. It took an hour for the sounds of death to stop. Even longer for the Japanese to bayonet each individual. The majority of the bodies were dumped directly into the Yangtze River. Japanese troops gathered 1,300 Chinese soldiers and civilians at Taiping Gate and murdered them. The victims were blown up with landmines, then doused with petrol and set on fire. The survivors were killed with bayonets. Uh, two days later, uh, no, here on. Theft and arson. I mean, it's really simple. They stole everything. They yeah. burnt down everything. Um, anything and everything in sight. They didn't give a fuck. I'm trying to find the real fucked up shit that was in here. Uh, let me see if I can find it. Nanking Experiments. Because it was... Yes. Okay, so... During Nanking, there was a medical unit called Unit 731. Let's see here. It was a secret medical laboratory. Um, unit 731 was a secret medical laboratory that was in... Manchuria, and it was run by Japanese doctors for medical experiments on prisoners of war and Chinese civilians, even women and children. It almost boggles the mind they had a two-floor, I think a two-story freezer for storing corpses. People were dis dissected alive, and there were experiments that to this day remain classified because the U.S. government actually entered into a Faustian bargain with the doctors of Unit 731 
and the, with the Japanese government. We made a deal with the devil. Basically. Yeah, that's what Faustian actually means. is like devilish. Uh, from what we understand, the U.S. government actually exonerated the doctors in exchange for their medical data, which is rumored to have been used during the Korean War, but we don't really know. Uh, but we do know that there was a cover-up of the experiments, which was essentially conducted not only by Japan, but by the U.S. government. The U.S. government did want the data, and they didn't care if it was done expensive human life, particularly not just Chinese life, but also American life. Okay, that's what I want. I want Unit 37, or 731. Okay, so uh, so fun fact for you, everyone who doesn't know this, Unit 731 is actually like uh, like like a band, I think. Yeah, it's a metal band, just so everyone knows. Um. It was officially known as the Epidemic Prevention of Water Purification Department of the Kwantung Army. This all happened during the Rape of Nanking, by the way. Like they were, they were there. Um, prisoners and victims. No, no, no I want to know. Come on, it's so hard finding stuff on this shit. I know, guys. I should be more po uh, more up to date with my stuff, but. Division one, though, <clears throat> did research. There, there were eight divisions of Unit 731. The first division did research on the bubonic plague, cholera, anthrax, typhoid, and tuberculosis using live human subjects. For this purpose, a prison was constructed to contain around three to 400 people. Division two research was for biological weapons used in the field, in particular production of devices to spread germs and parasites. Division number three, production of shells containing biological agents stationed in Harbin. Division four, bacteria mass production and storage. Division five, training of personnel. Division six to eight, equipment, medical, and administrative units. Okay. So they're not giving the whole fucking thing. Here we go. Activities. Da, 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 da. Okay. Test subjects were gathered from the surrounding population and were sometimes referred to euphemistically as logs. Used in such contexts as how many logs fell. This term originated as a joke on the part of the staff because the official cover story of the facility given to the local authorities was it was a lumber mill. However, in an account by a man who worked as a junior uniformed civilian employee of the IJ, uh, IJA in Unit 731, the project was internally called Halsklotz, which is German word for log. In a further parallel, the corpses of sacrificed subjects were disposed of by incineration. Researchers in 731 also published some of their results in peer-reviewed journals, writing, writing as though the research had been conducted on non-human primates called Manchurian monkeys because they were located in Manchuria. Or long-tailed monkeys. <clears throat> the test subjects were selected to give a wide cross-section of the population, including common criminals, captured bandits, anti-Japanese partisans, political prisoners, the homeless, 
and mentally handicapped, and also people rounded up by the Kempte military police for alleged suspicious activities. They included infants, men, the elderly, and pregnant women. The members of the unit, approximately 300 researchers, included doctors and bacteriologists. Many had been desensitized to performing cool experiments from an experience in animal research. Prisoners were injected with diseases, disguised as vaccinations, to study their effects. The study the effects of untreated venereal diseases. Male and female prisoners were deliberately infected with syphilis and gonorrhea, then studied. Prisoners were also repeatedly subject to rape by the guards. Vivisection. Do you know what vivisection is? Hmm? Do you know what vivisection is? Vivisection? Yeah. No. Okay. It's a surgery conducted for experimental purposes on a living organism. Typically, animals with a central nervous system to view living internal structure. The word is more broadly used as pejorative. Anyways, it's a catch-all term for experimentation on live animals. So. Um, often without anesthesia and usually ending with the death of the victim. Prisoners had limbs amputated in order to study blood loss. Those limbs were that were removed were sometimes reattached to opposite sides of the body. To see if they would function. Yep. Some prisoners had their stomachs surgically removed and their esophagus reattached to the intestines. Parts of the organs, such as the brain, lungs, and liver, were removed from some prisoners. One surgeon suggests that the practice of vivisection on human subjects was widespread even outside 731. Explaining that at least 1,000 Japanese personnel were involved in the practice in mainland China. Goddamn. Uh, yep. Plague-infected fleas. They bred those. So that way they could give... they had anything like fleas, they would give the plague to anybody. They came in contact with them. Uh... <clears throat> But they were spread by low-lying airplanes upon Chinese cities. The uh... yeah, they took the they took the they took the fleas, and like scattered them about with low-lying airplanes onto Chinese cities. So just like fucking napalm. Yeah, basically like napalm, but it's fleas covered in plague. That's even worse. Yes. Uh, it came another epidemic, and the spraying killed tens of thousands of people. So the Asian people are really just fucking, mm-hmm. just just riddled with the the plagues and the pandemics. Yeah, they also put typhoid and paratyphoid germs into wells, marshes, and houses of the city, as well as infusing them into snacks to be distributed amongst the locals. Lovely. Yep, of course, epidemics spread put out, and the most effective was a paratyphoid fever. They killed more than anyone else. At least 12 large-scale field trials of biological weapons were performed, and at least 11 Chinese cities were attacked with biological agents. And this is right with the shit that they did with um, Nanking. Smallpox, botulism, uh, bubonic plague, cholera, other diseases, defoliation, bacilli bomb, and the flea bomb were used to spread the, 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 the bubonic plague. Some of these bombs were designed with the porcelain shells. That way they break really easy on contact. And you can spread out further. Uh, they also 
Well, the first in using Anthrax. During the final months of World War II, Japan planned to use Plague as a biological weapon against San Diego, California. A plan was scheduled to launch September 22nd, 1945, but Japan surrendered five weeks earlier. So thank God for that. Resulting with the uh, cholera and anthrax and plague were estimated to kill at least 400,000 people. They also tested with frostbite. So, like, they were the original Nazis. Yeah. So, like, before the Nazis started doing shit in the Holocaust, like, they were doing shit the Chinese. Japan was. But... Then China, like I think, like Germany, like got wind of like what they were doing. They were like, "That's a brilliant idea." Yeah, let's also do that. Um, <clears throat> our own questions. Yeah, uh, some other tests. I'll give you some of the tests real quick. People placed into low pressure chambers until their eyeballs pop from their sockets. Experiment upon to determine the relationship between temperature, burns, and human survival. Electrocution. Placed into centrifuges and spun until death. Injected with animal blood. Exposed to lethal doses of x-rays. Subjected to various chemical weapons inside gas chambers. Injected with seawater. And burned or buried alive. Some of the tests have been described as sociopathically sadistic with no conceivable military application. With the frostbite test... uh, once frozen, okay, so they would take captives outside, dipping various appendages into water and allowing the limb to freeze completely. Once frozen, which testimony from a Japanese officer said was determined after the frozen arms were stuck with a short stick, emitting a sound resembling that which a board gives when it's struck. So as soon as it sounded like a, you hit a piece of wood. <laughs> Ice was chipped away from the area and doused in water, limbs brought close to fire and other methods were used to determine the effect it had on frostbite. The effects of different water temperatures were tested by bludgeoning the victim to determine if any areas were still frozen. Syphilis orchestrated, the members orchestrated forced sex acts between infected and non-infected prisoners to transmit the disease as a testimony of a prison guard on the subject of devising a method for transmission of syphilis between patient shows. Infections of venereal disease by injection was abandoned, and the researchers started forcing the prisoners into sex acts with each other. Four to five unit members dressed in white laboratory clothing, completely covering the body with only the eyes and mouth visible. The rest covered uh, handled the test. A male and a female, one injected with syphilis, would be brought together in a cell and forced into sex with each other. It was made clear that anyone resisting would be shot. It's a forced rape. After victims were infected, they were vivisected at different stages of infection. They were, they were, they were just cut open at their genitals to see what would happen at different levels of progression. Blame, uh, testimony from multiple guards blames the female victims as being hosts of diseases, even as they were forcibly infected. Genitals of female prisoners were infected with this syphilis were called jam-filled buns by guards. Some children grew up inside the walls of the unit infected with syphilis. A youth court member 
um, deployed a train at Unit 731, recalled watching a batch of subjects that would undergo syphilis testing. One was a Chinese woman holding an infant, and one was a white Russian woman with a daughter of five or four or five years of age. And the last was a white Russian woman with a, bi with a boy of about six or seven. The children of these women were tested in ways similar to their parents, with specific emphasis on determining how longer infection periods affected the effectiveness of treatments. Rape and forced pregnancy. They forced women to get uh, pregnant so that way they could study the fetal survival once the woman, once the mother's uh, organs, reproductive organs, were damaged. Though a large number of babies were born in captivity, there are no accounts of any survivors in the unit. Nobody survived. It is suspected that the children of female prisoners were killed after birth or aborted. While male prisoners were often used in single studies so that the results from the experimentation would, on them would not be clouded by other variables, women were sometimes used in bacteriological or physiological experiments, sex experiments, and as the victims of sex crimes. The testimony of a unit member graphically demonstrated this reality. <clears throat> One of the unit members raped this Chinese woman. Uh, the other member took the keys and opened another cell. There was a Chinese woman in there who had been used in a frostbite experiment. She had several fingers missing and her bones were black with gangrene set in. He was about to rape her anyway. Then he saw that her sex organ was festering with pus oozing to the surface. He gave up the idea, left, and locked the door, and then later went on to his experimental work. It's like, I'm going to fuck her. Change in mind, she's gross. Because <laughs> of what we did to her. Dude, and they're not even getting like some of the shit they did to him. But, I mean, besides, like, they also had like a really big thing with twins. Like, they would take one twin's arm and cut it off and they did the thing to another twin and they would just make them switch arms yeah. to see if they would work yeah yeah. they would do stuff like um, what else they fucking do I cannot remember to save my life it's getting late but it was real fucked up yeah it was real fucked up yeah it sounds like it yeah so Anyways, that's that's what I have on Raping and King, and I and I guess I forgot it was Unit Seven Thirty One, but there you go. That's fucked, man. Yeah, and there goes the end of the dark times for us. Yeah. No, no, this. yeah, no more, no more spooky shit, no more um, dark evil shit for a while. Till next year. I mean, next year, yeah, but I don't think we should do a whole month. Like, I enjoyed doing this month; that was fun. But like. I don't know if I can do it. I don't know if I can keep it up like we did this this time. There was a lot of rape. We there was a lot of rape. I I don't mean, I don't know how many times I said rape tonight. A lot. I'd at least say fifty seven. There's just different ways that you said it too, so Yeah. Yeah. Good information there. That's not really nothing nobody wants to know. Only things that people are going, fuck. So if, if anyone has any questions about the Japanese, uh, they're fucked. Yeah, apparently. Yeah, man. Yeah, but there's Japan anime, so. But anime. It makes up for it. Yeah, they also have hentai in octopus they're, alien they gotta tentacle rape. Tradition. They got to keep rape up. Yeah, exactly. 
Oh, I feel weird. You feel like watching tentacle porn now? I don't want to watch tentacle porn at all. You should. I feel like I need to take a shower. Probably. Yeah. Yeah. I'm getting Manny. Manny's getting tired on me now, I can tell. He almost passed out on me. A little bit. Yeah. I saw that. A little bit. Yeah. Alright guys, no no more no more two and a half hour fucking podcast from us. No. I'm thinking hour. Hour and a half tops. Hour. Yeah. That's about what I got. What you got in you? About what I got. Okay. I don't know, I can keep going. <laughs> this is the weird thing. I can keep fucking going. Just talking about rape? No, other stuff. <laughs> I don't want to talk about rape the entire time. It's horrible. Like, I don't feel good about what I just did. <laughs> I don't. I just feel like it's really interesting and fucked up, and that's what, like, the real-life horror shit is about. Yeah. So, um, audience, I... I don't know what to say now. Just, just pitch it off. Like just pitch it off. Like, like oh, we're done now. <laughs> well, actually, yeah, guys, I think we are done for the evening. Um... We're going to do the next week's, though, and next week we're going to have a very special guest, Manny. Yeah. We'll figure it out when we get there. No, just... <laughs> <laughs> no it's going to be my stepdaughter. Yeah. My oldest one. So we're going to just badger her with thousands of questions. She's mm-hmm. not ready. She's not going to listen to this. She and might she's... listen to the one that she's on. She probably will. She, she might. Yeah. Uh, so next week's episode is going to be on spirituality healing and like physical wellness just like overall health right i think that's what we're doing yeah like like more like the different sides of mental health instead of just telling yourself everything's okay yeah it's gonna be more or less like she's she's been really getting into the uh like crystals and stuff and she's also been getting into more meditation and like uh being physically fit working out all the time she's been doing a lot of meth uh, sleep. Booty bumps all day, every day. <laughs> Twenty four seven. Squats all day. Squats all day. Yeah, I don't know. Okay. Don't yeah, probably not. But I have I have drained Manny completely. Guys, it's been real. It's been fun. Thank you again for another uh, coming with us on this wild ass journey. At the end of our spooky season. I don't, I don't know whether it's, you know, Vincent Price said something. Shut the fuck <laughs> up. He said 13th Ghost Scooby-Doo. That's what he fucking said. That was a good movie. I watched it. <laughs> Shut the fuck up. <laughs> Alright, guys. We're out of here. Uh, hit us up if you ever want to. Instagrams and everything like that. If you don't know them yet, well, we'll do it next time. Yeah. Peace up, A-Town Down. Yeah, peace, love, and chicken grease. Hoes.